All right. Let's do it. All right. 55. Make it happen, Captain. What? Is that really what we're doing? 55? Is that what we're on? Yes. My goodness. I know. That's wacky. Crazy. (sighs) All right. Let's make it happen. Welcome, everyone, to episode number 55 of the Goulet Pen Cast, where fountain pens are still a thing. Still, to this day, Drew, still a thing. Right now. I am Brian Goulet. I'm Drew Brown. And we are here from Goulet Pens to deliver this casual and informal, tangential and extraneous, superfluous and extemporaneous fountain pen show, where we talk about what's going on at the Goulet Pen Company and in our fountain pen lives. In today's show, we're going to be talking about pens with anything but screw caps, why broad nibs might feel better for newbies than finer nib sizes, our favorite stub nib pens, dense pens that are small but heavy, uh, how much our kids are into fountain pens and how much we're forcing them, and we're going to give a spotlight on the Jinhao Dragon 999, speaking of dense pens. And lots of other education slash nonsense that you have come to know and love from our pencasts. And we're going to kick off today's episode, as always, with some feedback. Yeah, we are. Let's let's hear from Elizabeth, Brian. And she specifically says Drew, which is me. So hello, mm. Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. Drew, as far as favorite inks, I've been using <gasps> Brian Pelican Brilliant Brown. She's been so? using she's been using Pelican Brilliant Brown for 30 years, Brian. Wow. Not sure if it was always called Brilliant Brown, but it she, should she's be the, at the she's top. The one. Of, she's, she's the one that's been using it. She says it should be at the top of all lists. Just <laughs> of saying. all lists? Of wow. all lists. Even lists of like best soda pops. Wow. Brilliant Brown. <laughs> best, I, feel like there's a, I feel like there's a little bias in here. Best Japanese-made cars. Pelican Brilliant Brown. Best wow. best tennis rackets under thirty dollars. Pelican wow. Brilliant Brown. Pelican Brilliant Brown. All right, I love it's it. The, um, and the, then it's the number forty-two of the <laughs> lists. I love it. Anissa asks: Now that you've done the inks in reference to last week when we said the top inks from every brand, mm. I would love to know what the most popular pen is for every brand. Ooh, that's a good idea. We could probably do that. It would be a little bit more complicated because. Um, with ink, I did just ink by quantity, bottles of ink by quantity. Mm. If you did pens by quantity, it would be tough they, because they, you, ran, they range in price so much. Right, exactly. That's a huge factor. So if you did Pilot, do, for example, you'd probably get the Metropolitan as the winner above the Vanishing mm. Point or something like that that's really, really popular, but yeah. not as quantitatively we could have a couple different categories though yeah i think we could we could come up har- with something i honestly think the hardest thing would be like you know what time frame are you looking at are you are you rolling up like colors because there are some pens where it's like lami 2000 is like one color that's all you get right right or two maybe i guess with the stainless if you even yeah count that. so it but would be it's like, so it's a little more complicated we'd have to nuance it but i could i could see yeah we, we end up doing that every year with the hottest pens of the year as we do the roundups we have to sort of like caveat it and make some judgment calls there yeah, we don't generally talk about pens that have existed for years, though, with no change. Like, we would have never put the... Well, no, that's not true. That's not true. We did put the 823 on there last year, I believe. Or the E95S. Yeah, yeah but usually, usually we're going by color. Like, yeah. we're kind of breaking down color. Because otherwise, you'd have things like the Vanishing Point or Lamy Safari or something where there's a lot of different colors, and you mm-hmm. round them all up. You're like, well, of course. 
those yeah. are going to sell better. So some, of them get, some of them get unfair advantages when you lump them all in. But anyway, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll think about that. We'll, we'll let a, you know. It's a, it's a brainer. It's yeah. Not, not a no-brainer, but it's a brainer. <laughs> and then I had to say, once again, I was shocked at the amount of people that confirmed that they listened to all uh, two plus hours last week. So just just, <laughs> th- just thank you so much. That That is really, really impressive that we have so many friends out there that stick with us and this does truly feel like, you know, a multi-person conversation with just Brian and I talking with a bunch of very, very quiet friends. So uh, thank you for being a part of this. It never ceases to amaze us. And um, we promise you, we very often talk about that and we very much are genuinely appreciative and it's, it's noticed and uh, it, we don't take it for granted for real. So I just wanted to say thank you. Yeah, absolutely. I echo that. Um, I got some feedback from Robin says, Brian, I've been thinking about your struggling with the heat and being hot in case you have not considered this knitted t-shirts are not all that comfortable to me in high heat. I've mm. found woven fabrics much cooler and in particular woven linen shirts. I've not found anything cooler for a summer wardrobe. The con is that linen needs to be ironed. Nope, that's immediately out of the question for me. Uh, but in your backyard, working in the woods, who cares? That's an interesting thought. I've never really tried that. I don't know that the format of shirt, I'm thinking like, you know, whatever, like beach wear. That's kind of what I'm envisioning with like linen shirts, like Caribbean style shirts or something. I don't know that those, those would be durable enough to hold up. Because I'm thinking they're like button downs mainly. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm not going to wear a button down in the woods because I'm going to get like bugs and twigs and crud in my shirt. Like it's already mm. bad enough. What I have been wearing more is like the um, like athletic type, you know, yeah. shirts, like the Under Armour type, you know, stretchy I, wear. I think that anything synthetic is also better than cotton. So as long as you're doing not cotton, you're you're on the right track. I'm still finding it. But I mean, no matter what, I'm going to sweat a lot. It's not the it's not the. A tire. I mean, yeah, yeah. You could be wearing no shirt and still be sweating like crazy. I mean, that's just... Oh, yeah, for sure. That's going to happen. Yeah, but it's interesting, though. But I do I do often try to wear long sleeves and pants, though. Just yeah. because, you know, not that I want to. Yeah. Not that I think it's comfortable. It's efficient. It's efficient. It makes sense. Well, no, it's, it's because I bugs. I get scratched up on my legs when I'm working in the woods. And then um, I'm really allergic to poison ivy. And it's freaking everywhere here because we're in central Virginia. Yes, that is so, the definition of efficiency, Brian. It is... The no, best choice. No, it's not efficient. It's uncomfortable is what it's it is. It's efficient at getting the job done. It's, it, yeah. it performs mm. It performs as a layer of clothing better than shorts do. It, it, just, yeah. You've never brought up efficiency when it comes to <laughs> pants. You brought up, you've, you've brought always up cost, best. you've brought up costs like value. Cost, efficiency. They do the job of shorts and they do the job of pants. They don't do the job of shorts. They cover about? up your butt. Oh, that's not the only job of shorts. <laughs> yeah, they do. They just do the same thing as pants, but cover up less. You They're just are, less pants. You and I are just never going to agree on this, Joe. We are just <laughs> on two different planets. I'm jumping the gun on this. This is more on the personal side. But we have some cargo shorts on order for Joseph, and he is so pumped. <laughs> He's like, I'm going to be able to carry my pencil in my cargo <laughs> pocket and i don't have to look for my pencil in my backpack and i'm like that's right oh my you're gonna god be, you're gonna be carrying cargo in your oh cargo, man it's like when pockets it's, it's like when apollo creed gave rocky his american flag shorts and it's like really no i can't wear these like no it's your time it's your time yeah <laughs> to be fair i had nothing to do with it joseph wanted them he asked rachel 
They ordered it together and they informed me after the fact. This was just pure genetics. This was not me pushing <laughs> cargo. Sh- this was just Joseph being pragmatic oh. and practical and intelligent and forward thinking. <laughs> That's um, amazing. And him desiring. He was like, there has to be a better article of clothing to accomplish <laughs> all my needs. And he settled on cargo shorts. And I'm like, that's my, that's my boy. That's my boy. Anyway. Wow. Um, well, thank you, Robin. I'm going to have to try that. I'll look around. There's got to be better options because, you know, I, I do sweat a lot. Anyway, cross that off your, your bingo card. All right. Kat <clears throat> says, in reference to Brian and Rachel working together, Common goals, different skill sets is the foundation of any good partnership. Proud of you guys. Well, thank you, Kat. I would agree with you on that one. And then uh, we got an email from David. Said, hi, I'd like to learn more about your mental health awareness half day, perhaps on a future podcast. So, you know, this actually didn't come in directly as Pencast feedback, but um, Adrian received it through customer care and was like, hey, maybe you guys should touch on this. So we just had a mental health half day, which we're going to talk a little bit about that later in the episode as to what we did. Um, so I figured I would just touch on that a little bit because we have talked about it in Pencast here before, but it's worth mentioning. Um, so it's not like a an awareness day. When I hear that, I think of like a national thing or it's like some gr- bigger organization that's doing it. It's not, it's not an awareness of mental health in general. It's literally just our own internal thing. Um, ever since COVID started, especially, um, we found, I don't know, COVID to be pretty stressful. And a lot of our team was kind of overwhelmed and just had a lot going on, was having a hard time just doing all the things they needed to, or they had a lot of extra things that were on their plate and weren't having time to kind of recoup for themselves. So we started just kind of after talking to our team about like what would feel restorative to everybody, just doing an extra half day a month. Um, Not every single month. We don't do it during like the busiest times of the holidays, but like probably nine, 10 months out of the year. Uh, We're just doing an extra half day a month. We try and work it around holidays and take everybody into account. But we found that, you know, yes, we could just give additional paid time off or whatever. But, you know, certainly there's some people whose work is affected by others. So if some people are taken off and not others, you know, then other people have to work when others don't, you know. So but if we found if we coordinate all together, like random, like half Fridays, basically at the end of the day, um, that tends to work out well for most everybody on our team. So it's a little bit of sacrifice in terms of availability and what we're able to do for you all, but you were still able to get most of the orders out on Fridays and it doesn't affect product launches too much and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, we found a good rhythm with that and, uh, we've kind of kept it up, even though we're not like deep in the throes of COVID, we're kind of, you know, somewhere on the back half of it, we're hoping. Um, we found that to be still a beneficial thing. So I don't know if we'll continue doing it forever in the future, but at least for this time, we found it to be really beneficial. It hasn't set us back too much from a productivity standpoint. And just our team has just raved about it. And honestly, Rachel and I too, uh, probably of anybody in our company, <laughs> whoever is like not, you know, still affected by anyone else who's working at any given day, you know, the two of us get impacted by that probably more than anybody because we're the owners and it kind of all falls on our shoulders when it, whatever happens. So, um, by everybody taking that time off, we're actually able to take time off and do some intentional things too. So that's kind of worked out for everybody. So it's, it's more just a goulet, goulet internal thing. Um, found it really beneficial, but we, we still pay our team like normal. We're just given that extra half day and coordinating it together. Um, not unlike you would have like a paid holiday or something like that, but it's just a thing that we've been chosen to do together. So, um, it's been really beneficial and, uh, you know, we got some cool activities that people have been doing, whether it's recuperative activities that, you know, going to see a movie like Drew will often do. Um, some people like to go on a hike or spend time with their family or something. Um, I've done things like certain home projects or running errands, you know, for 
places that are normally, you know, only open during work time and it's hard to get down and do that kind of stuff. I can take my time and go do some of those errands or, you know, going and getting welding supplies or something, which is what I did on Friday. Um, <laughs> getting together with a friend I haven't seen in a while, that kind of stuff. So it's been really beneficial. So anyway, a little, little detail on that and, uh, yeah, it's been really helpful. So, um, thanks for the support and on that. And, you know, definitely mental health is a big thing for all of us and we're talking about it more. So, uh, it's good stuff. So speaking of mental health, we have some mental product knowledge, mental, uh, information to share with you. There's no segue here. We got new stuff to talk about. So let's, let's talk about some new stuff. All right. Well, got a, one new thing to mention here for me. Uh, got a whole bunch of new nibs, Drew. That's new right. Nibs. You new have nibs. been in yeah. the nibs like Scrooge McDuck. Deep in the nibs. I'm swimming around in nibs. Oh, that would be really painful, actually. Well, so would coins. He'd be that. he'd be he'd be dead on impact. Oh, coins. Yeah, it's like it's like yeah. landing on a solid metal. Like that would be terrible. <laughs> um, but it's a cartoon, you know. Um, anyway, Pilot Custom 912. So already they had some interesting nibs. Um, but Pilot USA um, previously had only brought in a few of them. We had tested some additional nib sizes a couple of years ago. Actually, this was like several years ago. I want to say 2015 or something um, when they were first looking at, you know, the Pilot Custom 912 as a possible vehicle for more obscure nibs because they just do have a lot of nibs available on that pen. Well, they just decided this year to bring them all. So there are 15 different nibs different nib grind nib types available on the custom 912. So that's a lot. (laughs) Um, I have previously used eight out of the 15. Um, And so seven of them are going to be new to me. So um, we're thinking about making that the spotlight for today, but I kind of want to go in and use the rest of them and then we'll have writing samples for the nib nook and all that. So I think we're going to do that next week. Um, But anyway, the, the nib sizes that they are going to have now is extra fine, fine, soft fine, fine medium, soft fine medium, medium, soft medium, broad, double broad, posting, falcon, or the FA that we're already familiar with, Waverly, stub, course, and music. It's a lot of different nibs, and you're like, what in the world are all these? Well, we're going to talk a lot more about those, but basically the kind of like extra fine through essentially the coarse nib are all just different variations of your kind of traditional sort of round nib sizes. When you get into things like the posting and the Waverly, that's when you get into some different things all together that you've probably not really seen on nibs before, things where they're like bent in certain directions. I believe we've carried... Um, both of those before at some point in the 912. We I think we just discontinued the, them. We carried the Waverly, but I don't think we ever had the posting. You have a posting, right? I have a posting on another pen. On a different pen, yeah. But yeah. Um, not not something you see very often on these, these nibs. So um, if you're interested, Pilot Custom 912, it's a great pen. Um, nice size nib, gold nib, 14 karat, nice and s- kind of springy nib too. So the soft nibs are like even springier. They're pretty luxurious. Um, the MSRP on these is $280, but we have them at $224. Um, we're going to have nib nooks and writing samples to come, but uh, they should be available, I think, probably by the time this video launches, maybe soon after. And a lot of it depends on how quickly you get the writing samples done um, because, you know, everybody wants to know what the heck is going on with these things before they just speculatively buy a $224 
pen. But uh, yeah, should be interesting. I'm always happy to talk about new weird nibs. So yeah, I'm excited. More That's a very exciting prospect. That was my pick yeah. for my personal favorite pen in that last video we did, Brian. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 912, yeah. 912. Love it. It's, it's a lot of versatility. Yeah, and nothing major pen-related, but we do have another Field Notes version available now. They have quarterly editions, and their summer quarterly edition is a Great Lakes-themed Field Notes pocket notebook set. So it has information about the Great Lakes, uh, multi-pages of information. A lot of the times a Field Notes book might have something on the inside cover. This one has more than that, so it actually has a substantial amount inside that you can open up and extend in addition to all of the blank pages that you actually write in. So it's pretty unique if you are in and around the Midwest region and have a soft spot for the Great Lakes, this might hit that soft spot. Anyway, we've also got a new Retro 51 rollerball available, and this one is called The First Ride. And it is themed after uh, like an old 60s Mustang, so it's red with a little bit of... uh, chrome-inspired finish to it, so it looks very, like, old-school muscle car So if that's your jam, this pen also might be your jam. Uh, Brian, as far as a 60s Mustang representing your first ride, uh, I just have to say, if they made a Retro 51 off of my first ride, it would probably not sell very well because it would be <laughs> an 80s so? luxury sedan mm. that uh, was kind of falling apart. So... Uh, Mine was an early 90s luxury sedan. Yeah, so I don't know. Maybe we should reach out to Retro if they're, if they're going to be doing this first ride thing. Maybe they could do an 86 Crown Victoria for me. Hmm. Mine, was maybe a 90, just... mine was a 92 Oldsmobile Royale 88. Ooh, there we go. I, th- I feel like these things would sell like crazy. Who wouldn't want pens inspired after these classic automobiles? <laughs> Every. Everyone, I would <laughs> only, Everyone. I would, I would, ins- I would insist that they have like the front of it, just like my car. The front of it would need to be like glossy, and then the back half would need to be like vinyl. So to like, because mm. it had that like half vinyl roof, you know. You got to have some fake wood paneling on there too. You, that well, would my just, car didn't have wood paneling. Yeah, but it's still of the era, you know. It would I have suppose to. my car was essentially all of the uh, the police cruisers featured in like all those early eighties. Oh um, yeah, like Naked Gun. Like Naked Gun. I, I want to yeah. say the, I want to say the first Terminator had a bunch of them in it too, but oh yeah, it was fine until it fell apart. It was drinking more oil than it was gas. My parents had my parents leaking. had a uh, a Ford. I think it was a Crown Victoria station wagon. Oh and, uh, yeah, yeah, that thing was a beast. Yeah, it was a beast. Yeah, it was for for learning a vehicle. Like it, it took up most of the road. So the first yeah, thing I remember they, being terrified of was just like, am I am I going to either end up in the ditch or hit another car because I don't feel like I'm enclosed in my lane. I feel like I'm too big you're, for the lane. You are a lane. You're like a whole yeah. lane. With it was lane. it was interesting to to learn yeah. on that. But anyway, yeah. that that's it for uh, new stuff. <laughs> well, fun fact here. When you mentioned the Great Lakes, I had a fun fact about Lake Superior that I looked up here because I remembered I had this fact, but I didn't. Uh, I wanted to double check it. Um, there's enough water in Lake Superior, just Lake Superior of the Great Lakes, to cover all of North and South America in over a foot of water. Isn't that crazy? Wow. Isn't that crazy? So that's a deep lake. It's a deep lake. Man. Yeah. So anyway, there you go. That's why they're called the Great Lakes, because they're pretty, right. pretty great. Yeah. All right. 
Let's move it on to some Q&A questions. Okay, Brian, are you ready for Q&A numero uno? Am I ready for, for Q&A? It's a good from, question. From, from BJ, from uh, Bradford Johansson. For, from, no, no, sorry. That's uh, ba- ba- Bakersfield Jehoshaphat. No. Sure. Anyway, it, it's BJ. And BJ is <laughs> asking, hey, guys, thank you so much for all that you do. I have a question. Mm. I'm not a fan of pens with a screw-on cap. Mm. What are some of your alternate closure pens? Well, that's a good question. First off, I'll say you are empowered to search in more detail at your own leisure on our website because we have cap type as one of the filtering features on goodlypens.com. So you can basically select everything other than screw cap and you'll see every other alternate option that we have. Because screw them caps. Screw them. But I didn't want to just cop out on the answer here and say, go look at our website. So I'll give you my thoughts as well. Um, I would say that screw cap is probably the dominant cap type. I didn't go through and like count them all up, but I think that I that's, think that's safe to say. Yeah. You know, over time, I think it's proven to just be the simplest, simplest to produce, simplest to maintain. It's most reliable over time. You know, it's purely mechanical. There's not a lot of moving parts or anything to deal with. So not a lot to wear down. Um, though I will say I personally don't, I don't, I don't mind screw caps, but what I don't like is screw caps with completely unnecessary number of threads, especially like really long threads. If it takes like three and a half rotations to get your cap off, I'm like, this is unnecessary. <laughs> like, come on. Um, not, not all pens are like that. I find that a turn and a half is or less is perfect because then I don't have to reposition my hands at all. And then it's like, you know, it's almost the same motion as a snap cap. So I personally, I would say, and we do actually list the number of cap rotations because that's something that's like, we care about that. <laughs> you know, when we make recommendations to people, it's easy for to, to have those things listed. So we've gone through, and this is not a measurement that's provided to us by any manufacturer. So we have gone through literally every single pen that we have and done how many rotations of the cap it takes to take the cap on and off for a screw cap pen. So um, I like all pens that are one and a half turns or less. So if you like a particular pen, BJ, and you find it has a screw cap and you're like, Ugh, if I must look for something with one and a half turns or less. Okay. I would say I'll try to go through everything. Uh, I didn't like study. I did a lot of this from memory. So forgive me if I miss anything or post in the comments. If you notice I miss anything, I would say second to the screw cap pen. The snap cap is going to be the most popular. Um, It's got basically a physical, I'll call it a clamping mechanism holding the cap on so that you don't have to twist it. But there is some kind of mechanical device inside of there may have some kind of pressure bars or some kind of clamps or dog ears or clips or something going on inside the cap. Um, and you know, still preferred by a lot of people. It's still quite popular, popular pens that have uh, a snap cap Lamy 2000. We've mentioned that many times. It's one of the least obtrusive snap caps that are out there. Um, Lamy Safari, very, very popular snap cap. Lamy in general has a lot of snap caps. Um, Pilot Metropolitan, another very popular snap cap. Oftentimes with a snap cap, you can sort of tell just by looking at the grip of the pen because it'll usually have either some kind of like ring or indentation that's either right up near the, uh, the grip where it meets the body like the Metropolitan does, or you might have it near 
the edge where it, it's, you know, the grip meets up to the nib. So like a Safari or a Lamy Studio or something, you might have a little bulge or a little indentation because whatever mechanism that's in the cap that it snaps into has to mate up to something mechanically on the grip of the pen in order to make that snapping. So the Lamy 2000 is kind of special because it's got those little dog ears that kind of stick out on that retainer ring. And so that one's kind of special. But, um, you know, most other pens, you can kind of tell there's like, extra stuff going on around the grip section. Um, but we also denote it on every pen that we have as to what kind of snap cap it is and stuff like that. Um, there's some that are friction fit. We've talked about some of these where we have had people ask us about snap caps and stuff. And then we're like, well, this technically isn't a snap cap. I'm thinking pens like the Pilot E95S. Yeah, we were talking about that when someone asked us for like the quietest snap cap yeah. or silent, silent snap caps. Yeah, and it's like, ah, oh, technically that doesn't snap but it's not a screw cap and it's not like, I don't know, it doesn't kind of falls into its own category. So I, I think we have it as snap cap just because it's the motion of it is exactly the same yeah. as a snap cap. Um, but essentially you have this, I don't know, category of pens that they have essentially like pressure bars that are inside the cap that are, you know, essentially providing friction onto the grip of the pen. So depending on the design of the pen, Lamy 2000 actually has both. It's got pressure bars in there and then it kind of grabs onto those little dog ears. That's why it doesn't need a whole lot to grab onto because it's mostly holding on with those pressure bars. And then it just kind of like hugs it with those little dog ears. I guess Um, you could call all of them push to cap. That will cover. Yeah. Push to cap. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Now that leads us to our next one, which could technically also fall under a push to cap, but these are magnetic ones. So you have pens like the Paniter Lagrande Paleza or the Monteverde Ritma and various other pens like that, that have actual magnets in the pen. Van Gogh, uh, Rembrandt. Yeah. Um, and that basically has a magnet in the cap, a magnet in the grip somewhere. And when you join the two together, it's, you know, bonding by magnetism and uh you know they're pretty neat we really don't have a lot of problems with magnet pens some people don't prefer them and i would say like if you're just doing gymnastics and like to hang your pen off your you know polo shirt or something maybe the magnet pen is not the most ideal just because you know they most of the magnet pens do tend to have a little more weight to them because not just because the magnets themselves have some weight, but most of them tend to have a lot of metal in the pen. So I would I, I find that most magnet pens are of the heavier pen type. So, um, you know, technically, if you have enough just force, the, the magnet can dislodge and kind of come undone. If you are like flinging it or handling it, or, or oftentimes what I've had is I've dropped the pen on the ground, and then just the, the shock from that can make the cap fling off. Which could also happen with a snap cap too. Less common with a screw cap, um, but you know that is just something to be aware of. And when you're using a magnetic pen, um, just keep that into account. And then um, I've never heard of anybody having a problem with this. But technically, if you have a pen with a magnet on it, you know, just being conscious of having that near like your electronics and stuff. I don't know if I would like lay that pen directly on your laptop or something like that. Again, I've never actually heard of anybody having a problem with this, but I just know that magnets and electronics are not friendly with each other in general. So I don't think it's probably strong enough to actually cause problems, but not to say that it couldn't necessarily, but it's just something to be aware of. And then the only other one that I could really think of that kind of doesn't really fall, maybe this sort of falls into a screw cap type, but um, Visconti's uh, hook safe lock. So it is, I mean, it's a hooking. You do, you do have to kind of twist it in order to lock it, but it's like one fifth of a twist, you know? So it's like, 
it's you got to press it on kind of twist it a little bit kind of falls into its own category i do love that mechanism um, but I, I would not i would not say like oh if you don't like screw cap pens then don't even look at this one it's actually a great alternative to people that don't usually like screw cap pens but it is pretty specific just to you know a select few visconti pens but i do like it and that's kind of what i was thinking of and drew you made a note here that is a great point to have which is retractable pens or capless yep. pens i didn't even think about that i was purely thinking of like cap cap mechanisms but you brought a great great point pilot vanishing point right let me dialogue three platinum curados these are all pens where you click them and they retract so that's no cap a, at all yeah that's yeah no cap that's a whole other category which is great you'd also mention the uh, the dialogue in there that's another uh yeah dialogue uh, three yeah absolutely or sure. two but that's not a fountain pen so yeah, the dialogue or the dialogue, dialogue three or the dialogue CC. Dialogue CC, yeah, similar, similar type of device. Pilot mm-hmm. Fermo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Fermo's still around yeah. somewhere. Rest in, rest in North American peace. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> one thing I wanted to say is that I think that another reason screw caps tend to be more popular is that since fountain pens have been around for me anyway, and from a lot of the folks I've spoken with, it seems that screw to cap fountain pens tend to seal a little bit better than mm. alternative uh, capping pens. Not always. In cases like uh, anything that has an internal spring, even if it's a push to cap, uh, mm. it has pressure that's being created. The Visconti uh, hook safe lock is also that same way. Then again, you like you said, that's also kind of a thread-ish, but uh it's just yeah i mean i think yeah you're right i'm thinking of like the platinum 3776 century with the the uh oh my gosh what is it called slip and seal slip and seal i was like press and seal press and lock seal and lock no slip and seal um that definitely i mean visconti on their hook safe lock have really good sealing in there too right right so but as far as but i I think that you need it's it's much more common yeah yeah that action of sealing the pen through the use of threads Mm. is does bring about security if you think about other things that thread you could have plumbing that threads and it can be watertight it's a pretty pretty effective system so uh for, for for keeping things airtight so yeah, I, I, though, though with something like the 2000, the E95S, I found that those pens seal incredibly well. So that's not all the, all of the time, but yeah, in, I think it's, in, it's probably in sim- general. Yeah, it's probably simpler to design a really positive seal on a pen where there is a screw cap. That's well put. Yeah, because yeah, because you just you 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 have a lot more control i guess over how that thing is ultimately going to land it's definitely easier to manufacture that that good seal Mm -hmm. which is why when you see pens made by independent makers they make threaded caps it's very rare i don't know if i've ever seen somebody like jonathan brooks or brian gray at edison or franklin christoph or anybody like that make a you know small batch uh snap cap pen uh yeah franklin christoph has a few that are uh pressure that aren't don't have any threads they just kind of fit on through the use of friction but yeah the snap specifically i think is hard to get really right yeah i don't I don't think it's yeah i think it's something that's like hard to do in small batches yeah you know you don't see that from a lot of independent pen makers pretty much everything you see there is going to be screw cap mm-hmm. um i think you know in order to do a mechanism like you would have on say a Lamy safari or a pilot metropolitan 
or a platinum preppy for that matter. You know, a lot of those are snap cap, but they're going to be like much more mass produced pens, you know, hundreds of thousands, millions of pens produced. Um, so in order to engineer that and then provide all the extra little parts and pieces involved in a snap cap only makes sense if you're making it at scale. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Good question. All right. Got another one here. This is from Brad the Bear One. Brad, I know, has asked some questions before. So thanks for keeping up with us, Brad. Um, this question is for you, Drew. How would you explain why broad nibs generally tend to be smoother for people who aren't fountain pen users? Is that even true? Do you agree with that? Um, I think that that's a accurate generalization, I would say. Mm-hmm. I would say mm-hmm. not every broad nib is smoother than every extra fine nib but if you took if you took mm, 10 generally broad, speaking yeah, yeah exactly generally speaking that's true and if you were trying to explain the why behind that to someone who doesn't know anything about fountain pens mm-hmm. i will allow you to use this analogy that i think works a little well so okay. let's as we know all tine slits are the same width broad nibs don't have a big slit and extra fine nibs don't have a very very tiny one it's all it's all the same So let's say you took a bowling ball, right? And put the same cut right down the middle of it. And then you took a marble and put that same width of cut down the middle of the marble. If you rested both, rested, rest both, rested? Is rested even a word? Rested, yes, I rested. Rested, Rested. that sounded weird for a word. That sounded weird for a word. That sounded, (laughs) okay. You're on fire today. I just cannot speak. If you took a bowling ball with a slit cut in the middle and a marble with a slit cut in the middle, laid them both on a table, you would see that there's a lot more surface area contact happening with the bowling ball than there would be a marble, just because there's more stuff there. Even if you put them positioned so that the slit is touching the table, like it's right there in the middle, dragging them across the table left or right, you're going to have way more bowling ball touching the table than you are marble. So let's say that the slit was almost a little, you know, cut improperly or there's like like a little nick there. You're not going to feel that as much with the bowling ball because you've got all of that other surface area compensating for it. Whereas the marble, Mm. something like that is going to be way, way more noticeable. Mm. And it's just kind of like if you're uh, walking along and you have, uh, you know, you step on a little pebble or something, a piece of gravel when you're walking on your shoe versus if you're walking with a cane or a crutch that bottom of the cane or a crutch hitting a pebble or a rock is going to feel way way different than it would be if your foot was on it because you've got a whole lot more touching the ground with your foot than you do touching the ground with a cane it can throw things off and make things a lot more noticeable so Mm. even if the paper is a little bit more textured you're going to feel a lot more of that with an extra fine than you do with a broad just because of all of that surface area contact and that also helps spread the ink around as well yeah, I think of it in terms of like wheel, like things with wheels on them too. Yeah, I thought about um, that, like a bike tire versus a scooter tire, but I couldn't get that one to work because scooter tires don't have any sort of bounce to them. I'm like, oh, what's what's a what's a what's a squishy tire that's really small, and I couldn't get one. Yeah, well, even like so, I do a little bit of mountain biking, right? Over the years, the standard for mountain bike tire sizes has gone up. Like now, the standard mountain bike tire size, you know, for like downhill riding and stuff is going to be 29 inches. And that's much bigger than the 26 or even 24s that were more of a standard years ago. And the only reason for that is the bigger the tire you have, the smoother the ride is going to feel on rough terrain. Um, It's not unlike, obviously you're not, 
it's not a moving wheel that you're dealing with a fountain pen, but it's a similar concept. You're dealing with a round on most nibs. Some nibs are an exception, but on most nibs, a typical nib size, a fine versus a broad, for example, it's a round nib making contact. The bigger the wheel, the bigger the orb tip or whatever, the smoother it's going to, you know, ride out those bumps. So whatever paper, whatever paper you're using between the two pens, the broad's going to feel smoother. I also think, you know, especially for newbies, which is kind of what Brad was talking about here, I think that the bigger nib sizes are slightly more forgiving in terms of pen rotation in the hand, which I think people that are not all that familiar with fountain pens, they're not necessarily accustomed to having to think about the rotation of a pen in the hand. Because if you have a rollerball or a ballpoint, you know, whatever direction you have that thing in your hand, it's a ball on the end of it. So it doesn't matter which direction that thing is rotated, but a nib has to be, you know, with the the shiny side up, right? So it's got to be in a certain way. And if you rotate it too much in your hand, you know, that, uh, that slit's going to lift off and you're going to have skipping issues and stuff like that. So I think that that also has something to do with it. The, the bigger nibs I find tend to be a little more forgiving in terms of the rotation in your hand. Um, you they know. also make your handwriting look better. It's, it's when you're writing with an extra fine or extra, extra fine, oh, you're going to see... see you're going to see every little imperfection, every little stutter or jerk. Like it's if you start a letter wrong and you're like, oh, crap, what can I do with this? This was supposed to be an R, but it definitely is going the wrong way. With a broad nib, you can kind of go over it a little Fudge bit more. <laughs> yeah. With an extra fine or a double extra fine, it's like, oh. See, I feel that way, Drew, but we hear a lot of feedback from people that say that their handwriting looks so much better with fine nibs than broad nibs. And that has always baffled me a little bit. I think I, that it can look better if it, is it depending is it because like it, like is it is it like a bunching issue? Like if you're I writing with a broad nib, it, it just must like all, be. It all muddles it must together be because you really have to change the way you write. If you if you're writing if you're used to a broad nib and you go to an extra fine, and you are used to writing big so that things don't get bunched up, it's probably yeah. going to feel way more scratchy and uncomfortable than if you kind of shrunk things down and wrote a little bit more small, a little bit more compressed. Because I write yeah. completely differently depending on what nib size I'm using. And I even hold my pen differently depending on what nib size I'm using. I will be an underwriter if I'm writing with a stub. I will position my hand completely different oh, yeah, depending on what, what I write with. Yeah. yeah, A stub nib or a flex nib or something like a zoom or something like that. You go under. I I... I bend to the will of the nib. Yep, I'm not same. like, I'm not like, no, this nib needs to fit my hand. Yeah. And I'm going to do what I do. I don't even care. This nib needs to conform to me. I'm like, yeah, no, I think that ridiculous. No, we've, we've written with so many pens. Like if, if you don't <laughs> kind of bend to the will of the pen, you're, I, just, you're just, you're, you're not going to get, you're not going to get the most out of it. Yeah. You gotta, yeah. It's just like if you, yeah, I feel like it's if you, if you drive a car and you're like, no, I'm going to drive every car exactly the same and I expect it to perform like I want it to. It's like, well, that's not how it works. Yeah. You got to drive it differently. Anyway. Now, that's not saying that you can't keep on searching and find that one car that's perfect for you and stick with that. For sure. But if you do allow yourself to bend with the wind a little bit, you'll mm-hmm. probably find that you can enjoy a wider range of different writing experiences. Yeah. And that's take, what we're here for, right? It does take time though, but uh, yeah. I am curious. This is something I would love feedback about in the comments, um, especially if you're thinking about yourself or people that you know, um, thinking about really when you kind of first started out with fountain pens or people that you know that you're kind of getting into it. Do you find, did you yourself find and people that you know that are getting into it find that, you know, finds 
or broads or somewhere on that spectrum, the finer nibs or broader nibs are, are easier to start out with. I'm kind of curious just to get some subjective feedback about that. Cause I think that, you know, most people generally want in the U S at least, which is where we're based. Most people want finer nibs, mostly because our paper sucks. And if you're using a broad nib with really crappy paper, yeah, it might feel okay, but it's going to absorb in and bleed through and it's just not going to be a good time. So that almost takes like the writing experience almost takes a little bit of a backseat if you don't have control of your paper. So I think there's a, a heavy distribution that goes toward the fine side in the U.S., but I'm really curious because we have a big global audience on YouTube here. I'm really curious, you know, what what impact you all see in terms of yourself and others who are newer to fountain pens and which nibs are preferable um, before you really kind of get the hang of them. So curious about that. All right. Cool. Question three is from Jesse. And Brian, we're going to need to know, what is your fave stub, nib, size, and brand? Okay. Um, you know, I went through this. I looked through basically all the stubs we have on our site. And I got to say, I found it a little, a little lacking. <gasps> Just our offering is a little oh, lacking. Oh, no. Well, it's I'll, not talk, because, I'll talk to the owner about that. You know, you really should. Um. I love stub nibs. I always have. It was like when I first started out with fountain pens, especially, maybe I'm still carrying over some newbie impression from the last question, but um, to me, it was like one of the, one of the favorite things about starting to use fountain pens at first, because it shows good shading and shows off some cool attributes of a lot of inks. Um, but also it's like a way of cheating to make your handwriting look better instantly without having to like actually practice a lot or learn calligraphy or anything. Uh, so I was like, stub nibs are awesome. They just make your handwriting look really fancy and kind of cool with, I mean, you have to kind of get used to the stub and, and not over rotating your hand, but once you kind of get the hang of that, that's a lot easier than, you know, doing writing drills and making your handwriting actually look very consistent. Um, I just think the variation looks really cool. So I naturally used a lot of inexpensive stainless steel stub nibs um, things like the Pelican script was one of the first ones that I really loved a lot. Um, I use the Lamy Joy. Uh, of course, the Lamy nibs, you know, stub nibs, you can put basically on any Lamy pen. That was my the, first uh, writing. That was my first mountain pen. Yeah, that was a, what, was a 1.1 Lamy? Yep. There you go. There you go. Yeah, so, I mean, it's a great introduction. And the disappointing thing is that you think like most other nibs, like, oh, when you get into gold nibs and all that, like it gets even more enjoyable and more exciting, all that kind of stuff. But oh, man, there were just not all that many stub nib gold pens, especially with a lot of different size options. Um, so me personally, I like pens, the, the stub nib sizes in the 1.0 to 1.1 millimeter size. So a little on the finer size. And it's not that I necessarily like the way that that looks the absolute best because obviously the wider you go, the more dramatic that variation is going to look, which I do enjoy, but I just don't in all practicality. I just don't use anything wider than a 1.1 in like normal writing, even a 1.5. It's like you can sort of fit that into like an eight millimeter ruling if you try, but it's going to get kind of crammed. Um, so then you're really talking about like, okay, I'm either like skipping lines here to try to do this and then it's just not as practical or I need to be doing like some kind of sketching or drawing or correspondence on blank paper and all that. And it's just, that's not how I use it as much. So I will, I will kind of purposely 
you know, use broader, um, like wider uh, stubs, you know, kind of for that purpose. But I'm not like carrying around a 1.5 or a you know, Lamy 1.9 or something like that. It's just very rarely am I going to actually use that every day. So I do tend to be much more on the, the one millimeter side of things. Um, you know, so I, I do like a nicely tuned gold stub nib. I don't find that it's super necessary because I'm not flexing it. I'm not really bouncing it or anything. So as long as it's smooth, as long as I get some fairly crisp line variation, I don't think you have to go with a gold stub nib. There's a lot of good steel ones out there. Um, but of the gold ones, um, I do like the Pilot Vanishing Point uh, in the 1.0. Um, the Sailor Music is basically the only other one that we have right now um, that is in that like 1.0, 1.1 size. The the Sailor Music nib, I'm not as much of a fan of because you got to hold it at a higher angle. And uh, I just, I hold my pen at a naturally lower angle. So I really have to kind of contort how I would naturally want to write. And I just don't enjoy it as much. So um Plus that nib, you know, you're not getting any bounce to it with a gold nib. It's pretty stiff anyway. It's got a little bit of tooth. So I don't find the Sailor Music nib for my personal style of writing to be any more enjoyable than a stainless steel nib would be. Um, so wouldn't necessarily be the one I gravitate to. Plus I would get like, you know, a Zoom or something interesting like that anyway. Um, for steel nibs, um, I think they're far more popular for stubs in terms of what people are actually using every day. Part of its availability, part of its affordability. Um, I do love Yovo's 1.1 stainless steel stub, which is available on a lot of things. That's what we have on our Goulet nibs, which of course you can put on a lot of different pens. Um, that's what Edison uses. Penlux has it. Monteverde and Conklin have their own as well. So, you know, that's, that's a really just tough stub to beat, honestly. Um, but Pilots is pretty decent. They got a 1.0 that they have, you know, um, that you can get on a couple different pens. Uh, Twisby's 1.1 is pretty good. And Lamy's 1.1, honestly, is pretty solid. So I, I really like, honestly, a lot of the, the steel um, 1.1s. So I think most of the time I, I probably end up using the Lamy's the most just because a lot of times when I'm doing writing samples and I'm doing things like that, I'm using Lamy pens just because they're really easy to clean. Uh, and if I'm using stubs, you know, kind of demonstrating for like video purposes and stuff. It's just easy to use Lamy's and I can swap out the nibs on the pens and stuff like that. So, you know, you don't even have to buy a whole new pen. You can buy just the the stub nib and you can put it on whatever Lamy you have. That's not a 2000. So I, I tend to gravitate towards a Lamy, but I also like Twisby's and stuff like that. So, um, yeah. And then there, the calligraphy pens are cool. I know that's what Drew's going to talk about here in a second. I'll let you kind of cover those, but I tend to be just much more on the pragmatic side when it comes to uh, stub nibs for myself personally. How about you, Drew? Uh, nothing about the way I write with fountain pens is pragmatic. I don't, <laughs> that's not ever, I'm not a utilitarian fountain pen user at all. Hmm. It's just, it's purely fun. Um, yeah. And I mean, obviously I take notes with fountain pens all the time. That's utilitarian, but I don't seek out fountain pens for their utilitarian purpose. Like when I, when I buy hmm. a fountain pen, I'm never saying like, all right, well, how practical is this ever? Yeah. I don't, I don't care about that at all. I'm looking for fun joy and personality and so me thinking about well what what stub would be the most practical within lines i'm like no that does not enter my brain at all if i if i buy a stub that i think is cool i just and it doesn't work in lines i'm like well well i guess i'm not writing on line paper with this so i i only (laughs) like the larger ones i do love the lamis i think they're great and i do love the 1.1 i do but for me i will much more quickly pick up the 1.5 and if i mm. don't have room i find that if i so normally if i'm writing with a stub or a flex i 
move my hand position to underwriting everything so I can get that wide, wide downstroke. And if I find that my situation is a little bit more cramped, I will transition to my normal stroke, which is, you know, writing to the side, to the right of the letters. I'm right-handed. And then a stub is thicker on the cross stroke than the down stroke. So I find that I have a little bit more uh, space from side to side. So yeah. I do like the 1.5. For some reason, I've always had better experiences with the 1.5 than the 1.9. They're almost identical. Hmm. There's hardly any difference in the stroke at all. But whenever I've bought them, I feel like all the 1.5s just work better for me. I don't know why. So hmm. I do love the 1.5s. I love the Pilot Parallels. I cannot speak those are great. Po- positively yeah. enough for those. So I love that massive 6.0 parallel. It's still that thing is ridiculous. so much it's fun just, to write with. Yeah. If you're going to go nuts on like a, you know, throwing practicality out the window, then that's the one to do it with. Absolutely. It's so, che- it's so cheap too. It's so, it's cheap. so cheap. It's easy to clean. Just it shows off your most favorite inks you can put all sorts of crap in there it's just it's it's just a fun pen it's just a fun time in a pen form yeah and now if you wanted to distill that into a somewhat equally fun experience but in a more practical body it's going to be the sailor compass sorry the sailor high ace neo Mm. not the compass uh so those are only calligraphy nibs they have i think a 1.0 1.5 2.0 i like the Mm 2.0 whatever the biggest one is and those are a much more, I guess, traditional form factor. They actually look like a standard pen, whereas the Pilot parallels look like something else. But it's got a pretty traditional looking nib, pretty traditional looking feed, a clear feed, so it looks really cool when you fill it, by the that way. That's cool. That's and those cool. those write tremendously well. I think 2.0 is such a fun size. It's not insane like the 6.0 parallel, but it's still a lot of fun. And it's, to me, you know, I have my, my three-pen system i usually always have a fun nib i have a extra fine all the time for whatever paper situation i have i usually have a middle of the road medium or whatever kind of like a flex spot but then i always have like a fun nib and that's usually something a little bouncy maybe a stub but uh, i love having that yeah i will always have a more practical nib for sure if i want to actually you know write something that's going to be read by somebody else but i will always have a playtime nib and that's usually you know a big honking stub so i do love those a lot nice why do you think it is that we don't see as many like good gold nib stubs because even even the ones we see i feel like a lot of them are over i think that i think it's because of the tipping i think the tipping makes them worse i think that is tough yeah it's tough i think that you have to tip them because gold will wear away but when you when you tip them unless you are a professional like that is really really going to take your time to make a nice more crispy stub nibs when you put a tipped stub nib on a gold pen the stubbiness is just uh you don't get that as stark of a line variation i think you would need to get those ground to be a little bit more italic if you wanted that really really nice line variation yeah and we've 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 done some collaborations with mark bacchus and gina salarino yeah and those always look much better yeah, much I crispier. Think, I really think that's what that's what. If a lot more companies were going to do that, and I think to Aurora's credit, they do a more like cursive style stub, or that's a little crisper. Are um, you talking about in the steel nibs? On the gold nibs, they have um, not on all of their pens, but they do. Remember, we carried some years ago. It was they had a, a what they called a stub, and then they had, I think they had what they called a crisp metallic or something. I like don't that. remember that. Yeah, and the crisp was pretty crispy. Um, I remember, I remember those those uh, steel nibs being super crispy. The uh, 
Yeah, that was on the uh, Ypsilon. Ypsilon. No, these yeah. were on the Gold News. They had a couple okay. different options. I don't recall um, those. But yeah, we don't. They don't have a whole lot of them in the U.S. They don't. They're not super popular. But um, yeah, so it can be done. But I mean, we know from doing some nib work and having a little bit of training in that way, it's a lot of extra steps to do a nice, like, kind of crispy stub um, that writes well. And, that doesn't tear up paper, yeah. Yeah, and then I think, too, like, I think the most of it ends up getting relegated to Nibmeister and custom work because, I don't know, I think the average person that's picking up, especially spending what you would need to spend on a gold nib with a, you know, well-tuned, you know, stub nib, um, it's a lot of extra time. And most of the time you know, in reality, just given how much extra time it would take to tune those versus a regular nib, um, it would be appropriate for them to cost a premium, but a lot of times they don't. So I think what happens sometimes is a lot of companies will end up, um, you know, kind of over polishing for where they naturally would be to be like the most properly tuned stub nibs they could be. I'm talking specifically gold nibs here. Um, and so it ends up, you, we have more babies bottom, you have more skipping and stuff like that. Um, because they've got to kind of go for like the general public who maybe, you know, is expecting a pen in a $500 price range, you know, um, that, or I'm just throwing that out there as a pen that might have, you know, like a Pelican M800 or something like that. Um, you know, to have it in, in a stub nib like that, it needs to be generally like well accepted with a variety of hand positions and all that kind of stuff. So they're going to, they're going to round things over more. They're going to, you know, yeah, played a little safe. Air on the side of over polishing. Yeah, and yeah. I just I don't find that to be as enjoyable of a stub experience as I like really properly tuned one. But then, you know, it's like anything else. It's like if you have any other type of like nice instrument, proper tuning it requires a certain degree of like knowledge and experience of using it, and knowing what you want, and knowing what the trade offs are. So I think it ends up sort of getting relegated to the 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 world of you know aftermarket custom nib work um, for people that want that that experience on a gold nib. But I think, honestly, you just don't even have to go there, really. I would say if you're wanting to get good stubs, you can stick with the steels and get a really great stub writing experience. Spending more on gold nibs, on stubs in particular, is probably less of a payoff than almost any other nib. Um, but if you get them uh, done custom, pay a little bit more, you get an amazing experience. So you'll, it's worth paying to get it ground custom on a more expensive pen i wouldn't bother with a steel nib but a gold nib so i would say just kind of factor that into your price it's probably going to be an extra 50 bucks or so to get it properly ground in tune um from a nibmeister but uh then it's it's pretty awesome if you know you already like stubs you get some good options there so cool good question good question you know what brian we don't have a place on our website where you can see all of our custom ground pens all in one place yeah it's because we we have them in and out so seldom, you know, so, so yeah. rarely that we, we don't have custom grind as its own filtering option. Um, but it's something that we could theoretically do. Yeah, so. we should do like a collection or something like that. Yeah, that's a thought. Because otherwise, otherwise, like right now, I'm like, how do I find out which ones we currently have? I mean, I know that we mm. have the Homo sapiens and sometimes the diplomats, but how would anybody else know that? Yeah, I mean, so far, that's all we've ever done. Um, but even those, you know, we're, we have to charge a premium for those because we're paying Nibmeisters to grind them. Um, so, you know, it would be, 
you know, not that dissimilar from you just buying the regular nib and then sending it to a nib meister. Yeah. We just well, we do we do currently have some Homo sapiens done by Mark Bacchus. If you wanted mm-hmm. a um, medium CSI, they are available. The fine CSIs are out of stock, but uh, mm-hmm. they are there if you want some. And uh, not mm-hmm. only uh, is it a fun custom grind, but it's also been tuned by one of the best in the biz. So there you that's go. nice. Nice. All right, moving along here, I got a question from Negev. Uh, I've been a fountain pen user for a few years and recently decided that I want to try using a gold nib. I like heavy but balanced pens. Yesterday, I took a trick. You're contagious, Drew. (laughs) What it is, is I ate a peanut butter and jelly sandwich right before we shot this, and now I'm drinking an iced coffee, and I'm just like, everything I'm eating and drinking is just like causing mucus to build up oh yeah that's that's so the worst i feel like i feel like i sound weird this whole episode i'm not sick or anything <laughs> i just made some poor life choices as we got into it and i got a bar of chocolate now you need to have some oh, skittles and I some also, orange sherbet no i also ate a greek yogurt that's not helping oh my god what are you I trying some, to do i got some chocolate here that i'm going to dive into a minute also not helping so sorry if i sound like my throat needs to be cleared this entire episode now you know why jeez anyway Negev says, yesterday I took a trip to my local-ish pen store and asked to look at heavier pens with gold nibs. To my surprise, the seller told me that those don't really exist. Well, I mean, come on. They do exist, but the seller just didn't feel like going through them all. But we will. The vanishing point is metal, but it weighs very little. Very little? I mean, I don't know how heavy you're looking for, Negev, but that's not exactly a light pen. I don't know. The king of pens is heavy, but it's far too big for my small side of average hands. There's the Pilot Metal Falcon. Hey, Drew. That's and a hefty pen. Maybe a Faber-Castell. And I think I once saw a Metal Mont Blanc with a gold nib. They have many of them. Um, but that's about it. Can you talk about why there are so few pens in this category, which I've dubbed as dense pens? Yeah, like not not like king of pen size but yeah, it's easy to get a heavy pen just because it's got a lot of yeah, mass, yeah. Mm-hmm. but a, a heavy pen that's also thin and well balanced yeah. with a gold so, nib here. So this is a, this is a pretty specific request. Yeah. 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 It's, it's interesting though. A little challenging. So specifically <laughs> to the last question about why there are so few pens in this category, generally speaking, you know, the heavier pens than some of the ones that you're describing don't sell as well. So, uh, they need to have that balance, and people yeah. prefer a nice balance pen, not something that's going to be small and very, very heavy. Some they do exist though, and we'll talk about some of them. So, but that's why you don't see a ton of them. The Vanishing Point LS is where I'd first point you. If you're already looking at the Vanishing Point, if you like that and you just want a heavier version of that, the Vanishing Point LS is slightly larger, not a ton larger, but it is about 10 grams heavier. So that one might be just your ticket. So definitely check those out. Huh. I didn't realize the, it was that heavier. That is pretty substantial. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're definitely heavier. And then one pilot pen that goes under the radar are the uh, Sterling Silver uh, pens. They are called the Silverns. They look sort of like the E95S, and they are made of Sterling Silver. And as you know, Sterling Silver is quite heavy as well. And again, those are going to be about uh, maybe not 10 grams heavier than the Vanishing Point, but they're up there. They're definitely heavier than the Vanishing Point. So that is a small pen that is pretty substantial in the hand as far as the ones I've experienced are. So the other ones that come to mind are ST DuPont pens. So their line D pens are relatively thin compared to their weight. And 
they're pretty substantial. They're mostly made of metal, layers and layers of uh, lacquer on top of that. So you are getting a lot of weight in your hand that's not in any way bulky or nothing you would consider to be uh, unruly or something is definitely not anything as large as the king of pens for sure their space odyssey pens now you're getting way way up in price but that thing is it literally has metal like wings on it so that's probably the smallest heaviest pen that i've ever held just in terms of diameter that thing is i don't know maybe there's actually a black hole in it because it is super dense (laughs) <laughs> especially the uh, prestige writing kit version. That's the one with the actual tails on it. So you could get into the larger pens like Visconti, obviously their Medici pen that is up around the size of the King of pens, probably larger hmm. and it's made of stone. So that's going to be that pretty darn dense. heavy. Yeah. Yeah. That's a pen made of stones, probably as dense as you're going to get. Apart from it being solid metal, but uh, yeah, and the dual touch pens are pretty heavy as well. But again, those two Viscontis—if you don't—if you're not looking for something the king of pen size, those two Viscontis are probably going to be too big for you. But I would definitely check out the Vanishing Point LS and ST Dupont, and perhaps the Pilot Silverns. Those three would be my choices for you to pursue. If uh, just given what you've said here, as far as clues go, Brian. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, so I have a little bit to add here. This sent me down a little. little oh bit, God, what did you put down here? A little what bit you, of a deep dive. Densities in gram yeah. CM3. What yeah, are you yeah, doing? Yeah. I was curious. Oh my God. This is where my brain goes. Brian. It's interesting that you bring up marble. It's actually not that dense. Um, hang on, I'm taking notes because as you mentioned, like silver and marble, I was like, oh, I didn't look those ones up. Oh, Let me God. look them up real quick. Um, okay, so I was just curious because I was thinking like, you know, essentially, principally, you're, you're Negev, you're, you're trying to go somewhat for two opposing factors here. You know, you're going for something that's thin and well-balanced, but is very heavy you know, those are opposing the, the, the thinner and smaller and denser you go, the, the more difficult it is to get that with any substantial weight to it. Because, you know, obviously if you have just a big fat pen, you know, whatever material you use, is going to be heavier just because there's more of the material. If you intentionally want to design a pen that's thin and heavy, it starts to limit your options in terms of what's available. And as you'll see, when I go through this list, it starts to limit your options in terms of what's affordable as well. Um, and easy to work with as a manufacturer. So because of these various limiting factors, I think it's just, you know, that, and, you know, this is a somewhat of a specific request that I don't think everybody necessarily finds this particular combination of things to be the most desirable. Um, you know, all these things into place. That's why you don't see a whole ton of these available. But it did get me going down a little bit of a rabbit hole and it won't go too deep because it's not even my question. But, um, you know, thinking about like, you're gonna have a certain amount of space that you need to fit for an ink reservoir and all that kind of stuff. So if you're trying to go with something pretty, pretty compact, um, the dent, the, the weight of the material itself is gonna make a big difference in terms of Um, the overall weight of the pen and then just the balance of it as well, you know, because you can have some pens. It's like if it's got a really heavy material, you're talking about like the, um, the Medici, right? 
either. Or not the Medici. It's the Il Magnifico. That's what kept throwing me off. It's the Il Magnifico, Drew. That's the marble pen. Oh, you're right. I said the, the Medici. Thing. Yeah, you said Medici, and I was like, uh-huh. And then I was like, that doesn't sound right. No, Medici's but the that faceted. Is a, the Medici, yeah, that's the faceted. One. Yeah, it's the Il Magnifico. That's the marble one with this silver. But I don't think it's the marble that's making it so heavy, Drew. It's the silver. Um, so that pen has got sterling silver, especially the cap. If you throw the cap on posted on the back of that pen. Oh yeah, the cap's insane. You 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 like almost can't even write with it because the cap it's so back weighted, it's crazy. Yeah. Um so it was interesting. It just got me curious. I was like, what is the actual like density of different materials? Because we know, for example, like the uh vanishing point, you know, that was that was brought up. Well you have the vanishing point and then you have the decimo. And the decimo is a little bit thinner, but I know that part of the reason why it's so much lighter is because it uses some aluminum components instead of brass. And I was like, well, there you go. That's some of the difference. And I know when we first started to carry the Montegrappa, um, oh my gosh, the model is failing me. The really affordable one, Drew, that was like 200 bucks at the time. Yeah, uh, Elmo? It was Elmo, yeah. Um, I remember they first did some prototypes that were just resin barrels and they felt like they didn't even weigh anything. And we were just like, this is so light. And they actually inserted a brass barrel inside the body of the pen. And it was like, oh, this feels, it just feels better. It feels right, <laughs> you know? So like literally they put a brass barrel in there just because it adds weight to the pen and helps with the balance. Um, so definitely that's a factor for pen designers and pen engineers to consider the different materials you know, in terms of how it balances the pen and how much the overall weight of the pen is. So um, I, I was just curious as to how much it affects that. And so I, I looked up all these different metals that I know that are typically used in fountain pens and various other materials just to get some perspective, you know, because it's like certain materials, it's like, well, what if it's, you know, what if it uses, a, you know, copper instead of brass or if it's titanium instead of, you know, silver or whatever. It's like, how much does that actually impact how it's going to feel? So, um, just looking at the densities, which, you know, there's different ways to measure density, but the grams per cubic centimeter is a a standard measurement that I looked all these up. So the heaviest material that we find commonly in fountain pens is gold, and that is 19.3 grams per cubic centimeter. And then everything else is way less than that. Silver, because you just mentioned sterling drew, 10.49 grams per cubic centimeter. So that's pretty up there. Pretty heavy, pretty yeah. heavy. Surprisingly, I was like, wow, silver is heavier than basically every other metal that you would see used in like the body of a pen. It's rare that we see like a solid gold, you know, <laughs> pen body. Usually you see it on nibs. Um, uh, copper is, we've seen some copper pens. It went from like, uh, I'm thinking of like old Keras Customs and uh, Kawako's had some copper and stuff like that. Those are dense. Um, those are 8.96 grams per cubic centimeter. So still less than half of gold, which is crazy. Uh, brass is not far behind copper, 8.73. Stainless steel, depending on its alloy, is around eight. Steel, just plain steel, is 7.85. So all these are still fairly heavy, and these are all pretty substantial metals, and you honestly don't see a lot of these as components in most fountain pens anyway. A lot of times it'll be trim pieces or nibs or whatever. Um, titanium is four and a half. So titanium is really strong for its weight, but uh, it's, you know, what, almost half of what steel is. Aluminum gets really light, 2.7. So you think about if you have pens with aluminum components versus say stainless steel it's like a third the weight right it's kind of crazy 
Marble, I just looked it up, depending on the marble, 1.9 to 2.8. It's actually not that dense compared to these metals, you know, which kind of makes sense if you think about it. You know, there's... You said you said 2.8? 2.8, yeah. It's about... The heavier marbles are as, as dense as aluminum. That seems... If I, feel like I, if I, I feel like if I held like a block of aluminum and a block of marble, the marble would be heavier. That's not true? Oh, I don't know, Drew. As I've been doing some welding and metalworking, I can tell you it does not take a lot if you're holding solid metal... It's surprisingly heavy. I guess yeah. just normally I don't think of aluminum <laughs> as being solid. Our, our most common aluminum applications are usually when it's pounded pretty thin. Well, and I think that's where, I mean, it's a, it's a, a relatively light metal anyway, but, um, you know, a lot of these metals, they can be really strong in very mm-hmm. thin applications. So mm-hmm. when you're thinking about a pen, you know, you don't have to use a, an actual lot of this metal because it is so strong so that's where you can really save some weight. But if you're doing something like casting it or like thinking of, you know, some of the independent manufacturers who've had, Keras Customs keeps coming to mind because I remember all of their pens were pretty dang heavy. You know, they had very solid pens. Um, so they, they, all their pens weighed a lot because they were using more of like from a solid block of metal as opposed to like using a, a, a metal tube like you might see on some other pens. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, ebonite, I was curious about that. That's about 1.5, so that's a hard rubber. So that's almost like half of what aluminum weighs. And acrylic acetate is 1.05. So when you think about if you have a pen with an acrylic body versus a pen with, say, a steel or brass body, it's going to be like a seventh, an eighth of the density. So you got to have substantially more resin in a pen to even come close to matching the weight of, you know, a stainless steel or a brass or something like that. So if you take like a brass tube and you insert it into a pen that's got a resin body, you can like triple the weight of that pen body just by having that tube in there. And you probably won't even notice just, you know, by the, by the look of it. So it's really something, you know, that pen makers can utilize um, in terms of which components they use and all that kind of stuff. Of course, we're not even talking about like the actual, properties like the working properties and strength and stuff like that of these different materials um i know that's a factor sometimes not just in like the body material of some of these pens but even just in terms of you know because a lot of times pens have different components to them they might have a different body but then they have you know the threading is different and the finial and, and the clip and all these different parts to it they can make those out of different metals to to have some impact on the weight and the balance and all that stuff too um in addition to things like wear resistance and you know if they're trying to get it to to finish it to make it look a certain color you know they may make it out of one metal versus another so there's a lot there's there's like more to it and i just i don't know i appreciated looking up the range of just like how much of a difference in weight you can get between something like acrylic and something like pure gold or sterling silver and just how massively that can impact the weight and the balance of a pen. And I think I'm so glad you brought up the Il Magnifico because that is such a heavy pen and it's because of the silver, not the marble. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. Well, I was just, I I'm just like, yeah. in, in my hand, I have a, you know, a large silver coin in my hand and then a Twisby swipe. This coin's way heavier than the swipe. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like super, super heavier. dense. Yeah, it's crazy, <laughs> isn't it? Like when you have like a solid block of something like that, it's yeah. amazingly heavy. Yeah, so it's, but yeah, even as like I've been welding, I'm welding mostly with, mild cold steel and aluminum 
And, you know, as I've got similar pieces of metal, like it's very evident, like, yeah, okay, this steel is clearly like three or four times the weight of this aluminum. Um, but it's, it's kind of amazing as, as I've been a woodworker, you know, I can carry a whole board or like a giant, you know, sheet of plywood and it's pretty heavy, but man, when I go and pick up some metal, it feels like I'm not even getting anything, but I'm like carrying something. that's like, if it's like a pipe or something, that's like a quarter or a half inch thick and it's like this long thing weighs like 80 pounds. It's insane. So it's like, yeah, okay. This, this is physics. This makes sense. <laughs> the density is pretty real. So anyway, it's pretty, pretty real. It's pretty real. I was pretty fascinated by that. So I think the material matters a lot. I know that's way nerdier and way more than what you asked for, Nagev, but thanks for humoring me on that opportunity to deep dive on some metal densities. All right. Next up, rounding out our Q&A segment is a question from Starina. And we are asked, are your children interested in fountain pens? My four-year-old plays with a platinum preppy. Brian, are your children <laughs> interested in fountain pens? Um, yeah, but I would say not obsessively. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not forcing it. You know, maybe you could argue I'm not forcing it enough. I don't know. <laughs> this, is, this is something I. Yeah, I don't know. Like, obviously, I love fountain pens. Should I force that upon my kids or not? I do think about that. I mean, I try to, like anything, I don't really force them on anything. I am a very passionate person. That passion is going to come out to everybody who meets me. So I try to never like hard sell anybody on anything because naturally it's just going to come out if I'm excited about it anyway. So yeah, my kids have pens and they have certain pens that they like and they're excited by, but they're not like, I'm not like you can only use fountain pens or whatever. I'm like, honestly, I'm like, if it gets your freaking eyes off a screen like i don't care what you write with just like write with something physical so if the fountain pen's part of that great but you know i'll i'll like ink up pens and clean them and stuff like that i'm not like making them do writing drills and all that kind of stuff um and i'm not like making them clean out all their own stuff i'm trying to like make it as low barrier entry as possible but i mean our kids definitely know that like fountain pens are where our meals come from and <laughs> You know, they're in a pretty unique spot, given that their whole livelihood and upbringing is all doing thanks to fountain pens. Um, so I think they appreciate it in that way. But, you know, I think they have certain pens that they like. They definitely, they have like Jinhao Shark pens. They've got Pilot Varsities, you know, which are fun because there's different colors. They don't have to ink them. Um, preppies, Safari, stuff like that. They really like the colors. That has a lot to do with it. Um, and they've got certain like Retro 51 pens with interesting designs. You know, I got Ellie one of those unicorn pens and... Um, got joseph a uh um a pokemon safari that was that was tough to trace down but i did oh wow i yeah, didn't know I you did that i did but i don't let him write with it though because <laughs> <Which is like, laughs> i got it because that pen came out when he was pretty young and he was like he was definitely into pokemon but now it's like okay he's like still into pokemon so it's like that's so i'm glad i got that for him but it's also like this is an irreplaceable pen like i i don't want him to you know, uh, haphazardly do something with it because he's lost stuff and broken things. Yeah. And all that. But it's like, that's one of those things that I'm like, you can appreciate it and all that kind of stuff. But like now he's, he's 12 and a half. He's probably getting to the point now where he would, you know, respect it enough to, to still take good care of it. Um, but, you know, you kind of have to gauge these things with your, your kids' interests. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, I view it as like I'm planting seeds with my kids and I'm using pens and I talk about pens and use them and clean them and all that kind of stuff. And some of it'll take and some of it won't and we'll see, but, um, not trying to force the issue, but, um, 
Yeah, I do think about that though, because I'm like, man, I really, I really want to drive the, the point home with them. But at the same time, it's, I'll be honest with you, it's not the easiest thing in the world because so much of what they do is digital. Even like going to school, like um, our kids did virtual for a while with COVID. And so like they literally really were just doing things, you know, on the computer. Now, you know, they're back in, I mean, it's summertime right now, so they're not in school. But like during the regular school year, Joseph has a laptop and he goes to school and all the kids in sixth grade are doing their work on laptops and he doesn't carry textbooks around like it's all on the laptop and i'm like man but you know he loves to draw comics and he loves to to do that kind of stuff so i'm just like anything that fuels their creativity colored pencils you know whatever that kind of whatever it is i'm not going to force fountain pens but it is uh it does make me think about like the future of writing and all that kind of stuff just like everybody else because it's the world is a changing drew and uh we'll see but that it is yeah. yeah, I just realized I don't think Archer has written anything since school let out. Like really? I, I don't, I don't, I don't think he has written a word. Wow! Like he draws, but I don't think he's been writing words. I should probably make him do that. I know. It's I have like, a, that's I have what, him doing. That's what most does, kids are gonna. That's what most kids are gonna be doing. So it's like, yeah. And I mean, that's the, that's, what's that's the some, future of handwriting? That's summer. I mean, yeah, yeah. He's got like some some math games that he likes to play uh, on you know, the computer, but, uh, yeah, oh, yeah, I need to get him, I need to get him writing. You know, he, he has a Twisby swipe. He loves the, the swipe when he realizes it's there, he forgets about mm-hmm. it. It's definitely mm-hmm. not in the forefront of his mind. He's eight. So that's literally any interest of his. He'll yeah. be passionate about something for two seconds and then move on to something else. And gee, I don't know where he would get that from Drew. Oh yeah. Yeah. Join the club, buddy. <laughs> so yeah, it's like you, I, the, the, he knows they're there if he ever wants them. They're, they're not going anywhere. Fountain pens are, you know, a huge chunk of my life and he knows where he can get one if he needs one. So uh, I'm not going to force that upon him either, but uh, I wouldn't say that there's a natural interest. I think that he really loved it when he got it. He really loved writing in his journal for like a couple days and then just never picked it up again. But then again, there are very, very passionate adults who have done that. I, you, you might be oh, one yeah. of them. I know that I've picked up a journal and said, I'm going to write in this a lot and done it a couple of days and then never does oh, it again. So he's in a, good company, right? I got a, do- a dozen journals yeah. like that. So I, you can't, you can't fault him for that, but yeah, uh, yeah maybe one day, but yeah. I'm not going to stop writing. And I do believe he will be learning more and more cursive next year. He's already started it uh, in his second grade. He'll obviously continue in the third grade unless they totally strike it, which I doubt they do at this point. But he'll be writing, and I'm sure he'll write some of it with a fountain pen. We shall see. Yeah, that would be kind of cool. The great thing about the Twisby swipe is that it doesn't dry out. <laughs> I yeah. love it. It's quite durable, too. It does. Every time he's picked it up, it's it's written. He did have a shark pen, but every time he went to use it, you yeah. know, he'd, he'd ignore it after a couple weeks. He'd be like, oh, yeah, I have a fountain pen. I'm like, yeah, you do. Oh, crap, nope, it's dry. But the swipe... Yeah. Swipe hangs in there. Shark pens are great because they're cheap and they're fun. Like I've never given a shark pen to somebody and they're like, oh, okay, I guess I'll take it. They're like, oh my gosh, that's yeah. so cool. But yeah, in terms of like an every, you know, even as an everyday pen, it's okay. But if it's like a once in three weeks pen, not the best. Nah. Not the best. Nah. That's where something like, that's why, that's why I like things like the Varsity that are, it's like pre-inked, just no nonsense. Anybody mm-hmm. can pick it up. I mean, that's like always the like, last ditch effort thing when i try to get like a family member or somebody into fountain bends before i just give them retro 51 rollerballs for the rest of their life it's like 
okay, try a varsity, try a varsity yeah. because there's, it's just so barely a fountain pen in terms of maintenance and upkeep and having to just be cognizant of using it. Like, and that's, that's what my mom, my mother-in-law uses now. So she's tried different things, tried a metropolitan mash the nib and didn't, you know, get the whole cleaning concept and all that. So we just get her like seven packs of varsities and she loves them. She loves writing with fountain pens. She's got some like hand issues. She had carpal tunnel back in the day. And so she loves writing with a fountain pen, but the varsity is the one that's been like the no nonsense pen for her. So I'm a big fan of that pen, especially for like kids and people who, you know, just don't want all the fuss, but yeah. Yeah. That's very cool. All right. Good deal. All right. That's it for Q and a, all right. Next up, we got a hypothetical. Drew, another from the community. I love these. I'll let you take That is away. correct, Brian. We got another one in the YouTube comments. This one from Amaryllis. Mm. And the hypothetical is as follows. Get ready. Would you rather have a magical ink that can become whichever color you want, shimmers, shaders, and sheeners included, mm. or a magical pen that can have any type of perfectly tuned nib in existence. Stubs, italics, flex, including the old gold ones that were amazing. Any weird grind, etc. And to counter Brian's follow-up questions. Mm. Ah, they're ahead of you, Brian. I love the how magical, everybody, everybody hedges mag- on my, my clarifications. Yeah. The magical ink wouldn't require any pen cleaning before changing colors. The magical pen wouldn't have a difficult mechanism to clean either. Both of these items would be given to you, so price isn't an issue. The ink would never run out. The pen would write flawlessly every time, and the nib on it would never wear out even after decades of daily use. Well, wow, really covered a lot of bases here. They, they've been listening to you, my friend. Funny enough, I do still have one clarifying. Of course question. you do. Of course. No, what? no, like for the for the for the pen, right? Is it that I'm choosing that like one nib and that's what the pen is from then on? Or can the pen itself like change nibs? So like Oh, it can change nib, just like it can change ink. Oh, okay. Yeah, like instantly changing nibs or instantly changing ink. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that is a good question. That is a good question because it is. I ca- I am constantly changing both all the time. Mm-hmm. What was the clarification about not having to clean it? That's probably the one that would be. <laughs> you, you don't have to clean it, but like if you switch to a new ink, it just boop. It's full of new ink. It's nice and clean. You don't have to clean it. That is pretty appealing. I, I'm sure it is, but mm. you still have a bunch of other dirty pens. I don't know. I got to think about this. Do you have an answer ready? Of course I do. For yourself? Okay. Um, What's yours? So mine would very easily be um, the nibs because th- these nibs I cannot very easily obtain. Mm. The inks I can obtain. If I wanted to write with an ink on a different pen, that's a lot easier for me to obtain. It would be way harder for me to obtain all of these potential nibs. You're talking vintage grinds, you know, that's architects, flex, like... I cannot acquire those. So that's way more challenging to acquire. If I wanted to try mm. a bunch of new crazy inks, then that's fine. I can go back in the warehouse and I can grab an ink sample. That's not a big and deal. I, I feel like a lot of the really interesting inks in the lifetime of the existence of fountain pens, most of the really cool inks are newer. So like they're much more accessible, not just in terms of like price or availability or whatever, but like 
there are things that are still being made the vast yeah. majority of them yeah that's Maybe, my that's my opinion yeah but like it's the opposite with a lot of nibs right there were far more unique nibs back in the the heyday of fountain pens in like the mid 1900s that now are much harder to obtain so yeah that's a really good point now um, to yeah. on the on the opposite side of things if i was an avid journaler i would mm-hmm. probably prefer the colors because just or, the var- like, the variation to be able to in mm-hmm. the blink of an eye switch from a blue to a green to a black just in terms of varying up my page and the vibe the aesthetics like that would be really really awesome but mm-hmm. i am not an avid journaler i don't bullet journal i don't have the eye that it takes to create a really, really beautiful, well-themed page layout. So mm. for me, it's all about just the experience and the lines. Mm. And I can deal with the same color. If it's just a black, then so be it. That's fine. If I could have some crazy nibs anytime I want, yes, give it to me. Yeah, I think I would kind of fall in that camp too. I think it's the nibs. Yeah, the different pens that I could change, you know, kind of on the fly and get whatever nib experience I want. That is, uh, that is pretty cool. Well, here's here's uh, something similar. She says, one related hypothetical. Not sure mm. if this one was already done already, but Ooh, bonus would, you hypothetical. Ra- would you rather have only one ink forever or only one pen forever? So you can have a bunch of pens, but you can only ever use one ink. Or if you have a bunch of inks, but you can ever only use one pen for the rest of your life, which one would you pick? I unsubscribe from this question. <laughs> of course you do. Um. Yeah, not asking for like which pen specifically. That I can't even answer. But um, do you value mm. ink variety more than you value pen variety? Oh, man, that's so tough. I probably value pen variety more. Mm -hmm. But I'm trying to think about myself. Is that just because I don't like cleaning my pens so much? (laughs) It might be. That is not an (laughs) insignificant factor. If I didn't have to clean the pens... I would probably use a lot of different types of inks a lot of times because that's usually, I mean, I don't know. Let me think about it. I'm thinking out loud. Yeah. Because I'm often, I'm, I want to use different pens. Like like literally tomorrow I'm going into the office and I have to nib nook seven new 912 nibs that yeah. I've written with before. But I'm using the same ink on all of them because it's the nib nook and it's all standardized. So like that's pretty cool. I'm excited to try all those new nibs. Mm-hmm. I value the pens way more than the inks. Yeah, like when we get a new ink in, I'm not inking it up in seven pens just so I can see the experience of the ink. Well, just as as a as a fountain pen consumer, I'm much more in the collector zone than I am the user zone. I know that Mm. there are a lot of people that do both, but for me, I love the tactile nature of a pen. I love feeling the differences between the different cap capping functions, the different nib functions. The pen variety is what draws me in and keeps mm. me in as far as okay. passion and fascination goes. It's fair. The, I can, I can, you can give me 10, 10 pens and I can just sit there for hours and just be interested in the pens without any of them being inked up. Like that, that's how I am just really plugged into these instruments. Like, yes, the writing is great and I'll gladly use them as well, but. I can just stare at them, look at the fit and the finish, cap and uncap, disassemble them, put them back together. That's where my fascination is centered, is the pens, not so much the inks. Yeah. and uh, I, Honestly, I, if I went, if you just flipped a coin and said either one, I think I could be happy. Because <laughs> I, I do enjoy very much both aspects of it. But I think, 
I don't know. There's more to there's more to differentiate different pens than there are different inks. Like there's a lot of different inks that it's like, oh, this this mid range blue. Like if I just used it and you didn't tell me which brand it was, I'm not even sure I could say on a lot of different colors because some of them end up being so close to each other. Yeah. But with pens, there's so much more to it. I'm very tactile. So the mm-hmm. fact that I get to touch the pen as opposed to just seeing the ink. Same. That's that's a big factor for me in my level of enjoyment. And I like to hold different pens. You wait, the feel of the nim on the page. There's a lot of that stuff that gives me a variety of different experiences uh, that I feel like I would really miss that if I didn't have that aspect to it. And all I had was different inks to use. So while I would miss different ink colors, if I could only use one, I would miss only... You, I would miss a variety of pens if I only had one pen to use more. So yeah, that's I, I agree. Call. I agree. Yeah. I'm with you there. Cool. Thank you for the hypothetical. That was a lot of fun. That was. I good. really yeah. appreciate <laughs> that. And, if you, and then feel free. It's stressful, let me know. man. Like I don't. Ugh. Yeah, I don't want to think let me about know these in the things. comments. <laughs> I'd love to hear what everybody else thinks. I read all the comments at least for the first few weeks of a pen cast, and I'll move on to the next one usually. But <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll usually see it. I try to respond to what I can. I try to like as many as I can. But even if I don't click the little like button, I probably see it. So. Thank you for all of it. So that was great. Keep them coming. If you have any other ideas, we'll probably talk about heck it. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. All right. All right. Next up, we got a pen spotlight on the Jinhao Dragon. All right, Drew. Jinhao Dragon. Rachel's bane of a pen. Boom. Rachel hates this pen. She hates it with a passion. She carried it begrudgingly, but... I don't know, man. It's just so cool. It's so wild. It's so impractical. Absolutely. I just love it. I love it. So we've got two different colors of the Jin Hao 999 Dragon, the gold and the black. It's more of a gray and black, but yeah, uh, we first we started with this one and then this one sold surprisingly well and. We were like, Rachel, I think we probably need the gold. When we first started carrying it, she was like, that gold is ridiculous. Ridiculous. I mean, she, it like, is conceded on doing the the black one, and so oh, we were it's, like, it's, okay, we got a foot in the door. And then the black one sold pretty well, and we were like, Rachel, gold. And she was just like, fine, whatever, guys. Yes. And we've been carrying it for what, like five years now. <laughs> yep. I, I think these will be if if we don't carry any more gin house. I think these will always <laughs> remain. I think this is just they're they're, they're magical, mystical. So they are heavy, man. If we're talking about dense pens, this yeah. one, I don't they, know what, they are seriously dense. I don't actually know what metal they're made of. I don't have a clue. Um, it's, it's, it's secret. Ancient ancient Chinese secrets. Ancient Chinese secrets. Yes. I don't know. Is it pu- uh, pewter? They, I, didn't look at, I didn't look up the density of pewter. I don't think it actually is pewter. Pl- pure platinum, I believe. No. Pounds no, per cubic inch. That doesn't help me. <laughs> so they... Thread to post, which is interesting because they are 120% unwieldy when you do that. Like, just you're going to break your wrist. That's a danger. It's we can't just don't don't do it. We're not, we won't be held responsible for your medical bills if you do that. But for the price, I mean, these things these things are what like 20 bucks, something like that, Brian. Uh, I think 30 bucks. 30. Like that's a whole lot of pen for 30 bucks. It's a lot of yeah dollars now, per dollar I per gram say, weight. It's one of the most. Affordable it is not pens. a it is not a better pen than a swipe. I will say that confidently. The this pen's twenty nine twenty nine fifty is the pen. Okay, twenty nine fifty. The swipe is a better pen. I, I will say that mm, this is going to be. That's uh, subjective. It, that's subjective. 
I mean, come on. Depends this what is, purpose it's serving. If you're talking about, okay, if you're talking about a um, weapon to, to personal, hurt personal with, defense or home defense, this is definitely the better pen. <laughs> yes, personal defense. You can cause much more damage than this than you can this. So I won't say if you're looking for just consistent writing experience, this is the way to go. But I will say that holding this in your pen, you're like, yeah, this is this. Is, I could, I would pay thirty dollars for this. This is a whole lot. Now you could probably find it cheaper on Alibaba or something like that. Like we we get that these things are not proprietary or anything. They're not hard to find, but. Man, you've got the dragons here. You've got red crystal things in their eyes. You've got two dragons, two dragons, one on each end, dueling dragons. You've got a funky red crystal in the middle. You've got some Chinese letters that I have no idea what they mean. Probably some sort of incantation. Something unsavory. (laughs) Who knows? (laughs) It could be. We would never know. Yeah, these Americans, they don't care. But... it's 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 ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. But just in the same way that I think the tool pen is ridiculous, I I have to respect it. I have to respect it. And man, it, you know what, Brian? It, de- it demands I, it demands your respect. It does. It does. It <laughs> demands my respect. This black one used to be my favorite, but I I used to like it because I thought that it was the less audacious. But now after I after this dragon pen has gained my respect, I will confidently say that this gold one is just it's it's everything that makes this one appealing, but more. <laughs> it's more audacious, it's more insane, it's more gaudy, it's just it's this is what you need. If you need a dragon pen, this is this gold one is what you need, man. More is a good way to do, that's a good it's, way to summarize it. It's just more. It's just more. I, I just I'm, I'm surprised I don't own one myself, Brian. But uh, I'm surprised you don't either. Might have to might have to remedy that situation. It would it, it will it will be this one. Yeah, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna do it. I, I I'm ashamed. I wanna see, but I want to see you ink up and carry around three of those things. <laughs> I don't even know if they'd fit in my. <laughs> you know how lumpy and bulgy it would make my uh, rickshaw sleeve. <laughs> Does it fit in a rickshaw sleeve? Well, this I'm is saying. one. This is one pen that if it's gonna struggle to fit in or something. Oh no, then, it's there. I mean, you can my, you can definitely. It's, it's lumpy. It's got its presence. Yeah, it's, 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 <laughs> it's making its presence known. <laughs> wow, wow. But oh yeah, this is. I've, the, I've attempted to write with this thing as a daily writer before, and I'll say it takes some determination. <laughs> uh, I've got big, pretty strong hands, and it. Uh, I'm, not, I'm just gonna say I'm not gonna be doing a NaNoWriMo month with oh, the Jinhao Dragon anytime soon. Do you know soon. how beefy your forearm would be after that? I would probably like, develop like, some sort of repetitive motion injury. Like Popeye. I would be like Popeye. Oh my God. Giant right forearm as I'm writing with my <laughs> dragon pen. Oh man. No. But anyway, it, it, it is exactly what you think it is. I will say that. I would say it's more it's it's everything that you would think that it is, just amplified in person. Yes. Yes. It looks heavy, it's heavier. It looks if, it looks audacious. It's even more audacious. If you if you look at this and you're like, oh, I kind of like that. I, I I like what it's showing me. Like it's going to deliver. Yeah. What you see. Whatever you think that it is, it's oh going to be more. God. It's going to be more. <laughs> but I will say it does write actually surprisingly. Like, Currently, Brian, well. no joke. I've got just a little bit of coffee left in my Yeti here. <laughs> okay. These two pens are heavier. I bet they are. You know what, Drew? I found this nice little just. I was curious how much pewter the density of pewter is. Oh boy, I don't know if it's made. I don't. I don't think it's made of pewter, but pewter is very, very um, brittle. Pewter is like in the seven point two range or something. But you know what? The uh, densest 
material is on this list of like 72 different materials. I've um, met a few people that were pretty dense. Yeah. Uh, iridium is the densest. 22.65 grams per cubic centimeter. So even denser than, denser than gold. That tracks. Platinum, tungsten, these are all denser than gold. Yeah. Cool. Crazy. All right. Well, that that is the that is the Jinhao 999 Dragon. What you see is what you get. Yeah. So there's not a ton more to talk about. I will say, it's, if you, it does, it's a number six nib. You can fit a Goulet number six nib on there. So it's only available in a medium nib. Mm-hmm. But part of the reason why we even carry it, like most of our Jinhaos that we do carry, is um, you can swap it out with a different number six nib. So while it's only available in that nib size, you can swap it out and get a little more utility with a different nib size. And I will give it credit, Brian, whenever you close it, the dragons, they, they line up. They, they line do. up perfect. They line up perfectly every time. Those bejeweled eyes are just looking yeah. right at you. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's remarkably consistent, like yeah. shockingly consistent. Oh my god, I'm gonna break the table. It seems like a talisman out of an Indiana Jones movie or something. It belongs in a museum. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. There you go. Awesome. Thanks for showing up that pen, Drew. All my right. pleasure. Moving on to the nonsense portion about what's happening in our lives. All right, so as you mentioned, as you alluded to, the Goulet Pen Company was kind enough to give us a half-paid day off for mental health, and I uh, I applied that to my mental health by seeing the new Thor film, Love mm-hmm. and Thunder. I uh, sadly was not able to go to my usual theater that has the food, so Aww. I was not able to get my coffee and bread pudding. They didn't have a showing until 4, and I still needed to pick up the kids, so uh, mm. I went to a different theater, and, you know, that's fine. I just... Didn't have any bread pudding, but it, that way it'll be special next time. But I watched it; it was good. It was what I expected. Uh, it was pretty mm. goofy. I think that mm. they're they're all, they're kind of like they're really going into the Thor franchises, like making it very comedic. So it definitely had some silliness, which okay. I was prepared for because that's what that's what I had heard. I had people tell me that it was pretty silly, so it was that. But it, it had some very very good moments as well. So it was fun. Very okay. One of those like fun Marvel movies, definitely not a serious. I mean, it had serious moments. Christian Bale's villain was very good, very dramatic, very serious. Like mm. he played that like he was not in a Marvel movie. He played that like he was in, you know, Schindler's List or something. It was serious he's done, business. He's so. done some pretty serious roles. Yeah, he doesn't mess around. That Christian Bale, he does not. He does not phone it in. So he yeah. brought it, and so it was like everything was goofy. But then Christian Bale showed up, and you're like, oh crap. Like, I'm afraid now. Like, it was... How can you not just be like, oh, there's Batman? Like, I can't disassociate him from Batman. He's just so good. I, I didn't. Like, <laughs> I, I, I knew it, but he... I didn't see it. I did not see Batman. I saw something else. It was... it was He did a really good job. Um, All right. And then I uh, had a pretty... Uh, unfortunately, I did have to go to a funeral on Saturday. So that was... Oh, you know, that was a thing. Yeah. But uh, that night I had a welcome distraction in that Archer had his friend Sal come over for a sleepover. So uh, my wife and uh, our friends, Sal's parents, went out for a thing. And I was like, hey, that's fine, Mr. Introvert. I will watch the kids. So I nice. stayed home and watched the kids. And they just went crazy. They played the <laughs> Oculus VR thing. And uh, nobody was gravely, gravely injured. <laughs> I grilled some hot dogs, made some mac and cheese, classic random sleepover stuff. Let them oh, sleep you're like, the f- and you're like a hero for cooking like oh, yeah, the you easiest know, food in the world. Yeah, let them let them sleep on the floor in Archer's room. So that nice. They had all, a good time was had by all. So that that was fun. 
Um, I haven't been seeing a lot of Shannon because she's doing uh, she, it's it's a tech week for her show. She's in okay. a production of the Adams Family, and that's gonna oh. that's gonna that's gonna start next weekend. So it's tech week, the week before the show. So she's just at rehearsal all day this week. So not seeing a ton of her, but uh, I am excited to see her show this coming weekend. So Archer and I are gonna go do that. However, Brian, hmm. it is an outside show. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's like a hundred degrees out right now. Mm-hmm. It's at the uh, Dogwood Dell Amphitheater um, in Richmond, and uh, yeah, it's. I mean, it starts at eight, so it'll be cooler. Yeah. Um, but still, yeah, it'll I'm be like, in like the high seventies. I feel so bad because I want to see her so bad. She's so excited about the show. They've got the biggest orchestra they've ever had. The ensemble, she said, is so so good. But I'm like. Super jazz, but at the same time, I'm like, I don't want to go outside. I don't want to sit outside. <laughs> I'm like, ah, oh. mm. I'm sure it'll be fine. But man, outside, I will. Yeah, so I'll, I'll bring. You can bring like food and stuff. So I'll pack up a you know, oh nice, okay, cooler of stuff. We've got a picnic mat thing that folds up into like a strapped carrying thing. So it'll be fine. I'll bring some snacks and some water and. Are you like picnicking or are there seats? Or are you just like straight? There up are no on? seats. It's 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 a tiered grass thing. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. One of those um, things. Yeah. So yeah. You you can mm. you, you people just bring their own lawn chairs or blankets mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So Okay. We'll we'll do that. It's free though, so there's there's that. Can you bring the dogs? Like is it that kind of thing? No, no. It is it is near a public park, but there are signs that say no dogs. So we will not I can I can imagine that would be disruptive to the show now that I think about it for like half yeah, a second. Yeah, I think a lot of yeah. people bring food too, so that could be, that could get messy. So hmm. looking forward to that. Uh, yeah, true. And yeah. I have an interesting bit of information in the continuing saga of that GFCI outlet outside. <laughs> You're still so, dealing with this, man. Come on. Still dealing. So I bought I bought the outlet, and I was going to you know I was okay. just waiting for a okay. day where it wasn't super wet outside to mm, yeah, replace it, yeah. and I. I don't know what I was doing specifically, but I was talking to my neighbor about random house stuff. Oh, I asked him. I asked him if he had one of those extendable poles to change out lights, like lights that are like high a fl- up, like a floodlight yeah. or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And he said no, and I said, yeah, I got to replace that thing. And I also mm. have this this outlet I need to replace. And he's like, oh man, yeah. You know, the previous people that lived in that house. There was there was the, there was an outlet on the back uh, on the back porch that almost caught their house on fire because it had some weird electrical issue, and I said, "That's the one I need to replace." And he was like, "Oh, oh, okay. Well, good luck." <laughs> and I was like, oh, "Hold gosh. on, hold on." I was like, "Wait, wait, wait. What? What happened? What? What exactly?" <laughs> no, that's not and what you like, want to hear. I know, not at all. So he said that something happened with that outlet. Uh, he needed to get an electrician to come in because that outlet shorted or something, took out power to half the house. And I was like, okay, you know what? Maybe I won't do it. Maybe I'm going to get somebody who is insured to come and replace that because if he said that something almost caught fire and I'm unaware of a pre-existing wiring issue with that Mm. outlet... Like right now, it's off. It's dead, and the only thing it's negatively impacting are the front porch lights. So, right, everything's fine. I can wait. You don't want to make it worse. <laughs> no, and um, if if, mm. if somebody, if an elect, if a con, if an insured contractor comes in, screws up something, lights my house on fire, then I'm not liable for that. So, 
I think that I'm going to play it safe and maybe get a contractor to come do it. So uh, yeah, I'm 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 definitely not in the camp of do things around your house that you feel uncomfortable with because that's always the best thing. No, it's like, especially when it comes to electrical and plumbing and stuff like that, it's like I've reached that point myself on certain projects where I'm like, ah, I think I know how to do this, but just something in my gut's telling me, nah, yeah. it's not And I've, re- I've replaced these before. Before we sold our old house, the mm-hmm. home inspector said, hey, that outlet in the garage needs to be a GFCI. So I just need, I'm like, yeah. okay, cool. I'll replace the regular outlet with a GFCI, no problem. So, I mean, yeah. I, I've done yeah. it before. It's not complicated but Hmm. just if there is something i don't know about Hmm. happening with that outlet and i accidentally screw something up i'm gonna feel so awful having that could that could incur all these other costs that i would need to do so i'm just gonna probably get a contractor to do it it's just an outlet it wouldn't take them but 15 minutes so yeah and if they run into an issue they're gonna probably recognize it quicker than you would if it was something weird Hmm. my guess Hmm. is i'm totally speculating here of course but my guess is that probably that wasn't a GFCI outlet at some point and mm-hmm. there was some kind of water or whatever nest of spiders or something that yeah. got in there, which is the reason why you always have GFCI on the outside. Probably. Outlets. So it probably, probably wasn't circuit fault protected. And then they had something that tripped it and caused some kind of issue. And then hopefully now you're not going to deal with that, but yeah, I think you're probably, probably that, gonna, no, gonna I think you're, call. I think you're right because it's not connected to anything else other than those front porch lights. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's now it's in one of those big clear enclosures and stuff. So it definitely doesn't look more than 10 years old. So it's probably fine, but still it's tough though, because you, I mean, that's the thing whenever you get a house is like, you never know. What you never know done what before. Yeah. Like our old house, our first house that we bought, um, we're in our second house now. It makes it sound like I've owned a ton of houses. No, but, um, our electrical panel was in our kitchen behind a kitchen cabinet. What? Yeah. It was like a, the house was built in the sixties or something. Hmm. And literally you would like open just a cabinet door, like in the middle of all the cabinets and it was just emptiness. And then the electrical panel on the wall. And it was like next to the stove and all that. And I talked to that not used to be the kitchen. I don't know what the deal is, but for whatever reason, huh? That's what was there. (laughs) And I talked to an electrician about it, and he was like, "Oh yeah, they definitely don't allow you to do this anymore." Um, Oh yeah. I think I think the electrical panel used to be on the outside of the house, like the where you flip the breakers and stuff, which is Mm -hmm. a terrible idea because there's so many things that can go wrong moisture wise and all that kind of stuff, having it on the outside. So they definitely don't do that anymore. And he was like, yeah, it seems like at some point in the seventies or whatever that they moved it to the inside of the house and just, they moved it there. Cause that was <laughs> the closest and they didn't have to reroute all the wires and stuff. And they're like, but yeah, if you ever do any like significant electrical work here, you're going to have to like move that whole panel. And I was like, Oh yeah, no thanks. Or no, maybe it was, the, maybe that's where it originally was. And he said, if we did move it, we would have to move it to the outside of the house, which he said would be a terrible idea, but still code. Oh, uh, gotcha. That would make more sense, but either maybe, way, maybe maybe the kitchen super, was expanded at some point, and they just expanded around the breaker box. It could be, but either way, it was pretty weird. And very I was weird. Happy to get out of that house when we did. Yeah, if 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 the indication when I moved in and installed the new dishwasher, I was it took so much effort to get the old one out, and when I did, I realized that there was probably three layers of flooring in the kitchen. Flooring they, on top of flooring on top of flooring. And they never took the dishwasher. They never floored 
no. underneath the dishwasher. They just <laughs> the, the the the, the like dishwasher was the just dishwasher. no no the, it was it was on the subflooring. It was just on bare wood. So when That's I dropped in the new that. one, it fell down like a good three to four inches. <laughs> So that's in there forever now. Like it's not coming out. You got like a sub- so, subterranean dishwasher now. Basically, and so so it's not coming out. So if if that mm. was any indication of the making the, the the crossing I's and dotting of the T's that the previous owners did with that house, I'm not going to be taking chances. So yeah, it's always fun. Yeah, so when when, when we want to replace the flooring in the kitchen, we're going to need to pull up like three floors. So hooray for that. Yeah, but it's worth doing it when you when it comes time. Absolutely, I'm not. Yeah, no, God, I can't put another layer of floor on top of that. Are you kidding me? At least you're not dealing with a house like an older house because I don't know when your house was built, but I don't think eighty five. Yeah, so you're not dealing with like lead paint and asbestos and stuff like that. No, no. Like we had in our old house, our house was in like the '60s, so it had the potential for things like lead paint and asbestos and all that. So when it came time to like painting, it was like they had painted over top of wallpaper on our upstairs. I was like, oh, "Oh, this is the worst. But I researched it a little bit and I was like, if I pull all this up, not only am I going to have to pull up paint on top of wallpaper, who knows how many layers of paint. But I was like, it might be lead paint. And we had a newborn at the time and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, F it, you know, we're just going to paint over top of it just like everybody else has done. Yeah. So it's like to in order to remediate that. You would have to, it would be, I mean, thousands and thousands of dollars to do that. And I wouldn't, might feel, be, I wouldn't feel comfortable might, doing that myself. You know? Dude, it might be, at that point, it might be cheaper to just put up new drywall. It was not drywall. It was plaster. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's right. 60s. What am I thinking? Yeah. Well, ours was interesting. It was like, it's like they didn't trust drywall back then. So they mm. plastered over top of drywall. Oh. So we had we had like twelve inch plywall boards. I've never seen anything like this on any other house. Oh, but it was man. like twelve inch drywall, not almost like a like a siding, but it was just like it was flat panels. Yeah, drywall, yeah, yeah. And then they plastered over top of it. It was the messiest. Yeah, you always the see that worst thing. To yeah, you always with. see that in old movies when they go like I don't know. There's in old horror movies. There's always that like they go in between oh, yeah. the walls. You know. Yeah, but you see those you see yep. those plankings. Well, that's called in, lath. That's wood wood lath. So plaster and lath is how it was done. Yeah. Up until the, you know, 50s, 60s, whatever when drywall started to come about. I don't know why in this house. <laughs> it was like in a period where drywall started to come to be, but they were like, I don't really know about all this now. So we're just going to plaster over top of this drywall. So they they moved up from the lath, so at least I didn't have to tear that out. But it was just all kinds of dusty, heavy, rocky messiness. Oh, man. I did like one. I replaced some stuff in our bathroom. We had a steel tub that was in a bathroom. All I was trying to do was make our bath that just had a tub. And I was trying to put a tub and shower. That's all I was trying to do. I ended up literally having to strip the thing down to the studs, the entire bathroom. Was this the, this was the first floor bathroom in your old house? Yeah, you remember this Oh, thing. I remember that. Oh, yeah, you did oh, yeah. everything. You did the plumbing in there and everything. I had to do. You redid had, all the pipes. I had to redo everything. I remember thing. that. Oh, yeah, that was insane. And then you moved out. <laughs> I did so much work on that house. It was like a, it was like a full-time job for four years yeah. in that house. And then we moved and sold it for less than we bought it for. So I know, I, literally I know, got and it took and it took time. you so long to sell too. 
It took that was a nightmare. Oh, it felt so bad. I mean, by today's standards, it took an eternity. It took us like five months to sell that house. Well, today's standards are insane. Yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. We bought it at a bad time and sold it at a worse time. So, oh, God. Ah, well, what are you gonna do? You know, when you when your life uh, when your life dictates you know the space you need, you can't really like time the market so well. You're like, well, we're running a business and having a second kid. Like, we need the space. You know, so yeah. Um, yeah, so my stuff, um, working on another project with Joseph. So we, oh. we successfully did his like natural edge little walnut Lego shelf there, which I nice. talked about last week. Um, so he wanted uh, to display some more Legos. And I mean, I literally have, I'm not on Pinterest very much, but I do have a bunch of things saved on Pinterest that are all like pieces of furniture, interesting like storage ideas and cool stuff. Cause it's just, you know, it's just a bunch of pictures and you can easily save them. And so I've all these things that I've saved for years. And I was like, hmm, it's like, you're trying to, you know, display a bunch of Lego stuff. And he's got like his end tables kind of in the corner of his room. He's got all this like dead space kind of in his corner. And I was like, Joseph, you know, it'd be kind of cool as if we did a corner shelf. It's like, if it's just going to be stuff you're displaying and it's not like a bookshelf where you're getting stuff on and off, it's like, it's a perfect place for a corner shelf. And so um, I showed him a picture of this, uh, I don't know what technically what the name is, but it's like a zigzag kind of a shelf. So it's not, it's not all one shelf. It like comes over and up and then the piece comes over and then it goes back and kind of connects. So it like looks sort of open and kind of staggered. Oh yeah. So it's really kind of cool looking. And I was like, Hey, what do you think about this idea? And he was like, that's kind of cool. I was like, yeah, we could build that. And he was like, cool, let's do that. So we like when I've got all kinds of wood and we went and picked out the boards and milled it all down and cut up the whole thing. And, you know, I'm doing most of the work, but he's, you know, right there with me, helping me that is so cool. finish it. And all that. Yeah. He's like finally reaching an age. This is where I'm like, I'm getting some glimmers of hope when we're talking yeah. about like our kids using fountain pens and all this type of stuff. It's like, <clears throat> you know, at the younger age, like Archer's age, they're like expressing some general interest, but not really like owning it and like investing in doing some of these things that take, you know, time and patience and stuff like that. But like I'm finding now with Joseph and Ellie to a degree, she's 10, but he's 12, 12 and a half. He's now getting to the point where he like he had came up with the idea of like, oh, it'd be cool to do a shelf. And all I had to do was be like, hey, it'd be kind of cool if we could build it. We could do it together. We could make it just how you want it. And he was like, oh, that would be kind of cool. And then like I had him. I was like, cool, great. Let's do it right now. You know, and so he's like now instead of like, hey, Joseph, let's go out to the shop together. And it's like, do I have to? You know, now he's kind of like, oh, OK. You know, and he just like comes along with me. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, OK. It's yeah, happening. Let's, it's let's happening. Go do this. Yeah, I'm like trying not to go overboard and being like, blah, blah, blah. Here's all this oh, information dude, that, that is, you don't I, need in your head. You are talking to the right person. My whole life is just me trying not to go overboard. Yes, yes. And like I want him to be excited, but I don't want to like overwhelm him with information. And so it's like I'm very strategically trying to give him things to do to stay invested and like learn skills and stuff like that, but also not have him like sand boards for four straight hours. You know, because right. that is tedious and boring and he just like doesn't have the muscles for that. Yeah, you're so going like, to you're gonna scare him off. Yeah. So I'm like really trying to balance out like, hey, why don't you do this for a little bit? And then I can see when his interest is waning and I'm like, hey, why don't you go inside and I'll, I'll finish this up and then I'll come grab you with the next part. And he's like, cool. So I'm like walking that line. Nice. But uh, yeah, so we finished his shelf. We haven't hung it yet, but we'll have it soon. Maybe I'll have a picture by the time we actually publish this of it hung, but we got the whole thing done um, and it turned out really good. So I could have made the wood a little bit thicker, so it's a little bit delicate as a shelf, but, you know, because it's going to go in the corner, I'm going to end up, like, 
you know, anchoring it to like both sides of the corner. So it's going to be really solid once it's on the wall. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he's really going to move it or change it for a long time. And even still, whatever we built it, we can always fix it or throw it out or I don't care. It's more just like something that we did together. So oh, that's kind of cool. I'm like, hey. That is really awesome. There's those memories that we're getting together. So it's like it's taken several years, you know, to where he's actually shown some interest. And I'm not like worried about him touching. Because, I mean, let's be real. I'm not like super neat freak. So when I'm working in the, you know, with woodworking and there's like saws and chisels and stuff kind of like everywhere. It's not a place for toddlers or like young children. But like at 12 years old, he knows not to touch sharp things. You know what I mean? So I can have him out there and not be like super paranoid about him like hurting himself right um, as long as he's being generally cognizant so that's really cool really rewarding and we're making some good memories there um and then yeah on my half day i uh, you know have found a couple of like welding suppliers and some like scrap metal suppliers um i'm actually at the point where i like went and got some random scrap metal and i've used it for various projects around the house and i'm like i kind of need some more of this like you know one inch tube steel like his next project i use i could probably use some of that so i went back and like replenished some of my stock of raw metal and i'm like i guess this is what i do now yep it's in my rotation of places i go to is this like random metal supplier in like the north side of richmond and they're like not open on weekends and i have to go there during like regular work hours that's perfect like, yeah and so it was like for a for a for a mental health half day mm-hmm. kind of thing so I like I had a little I had a little bit of stuff I had to do at the office. So I did go in and check there. Everybody else was gone. So I went in and did my stuff. And then uh, you didn't play the arcade machine though, like you said you were going to do. No, the kids didn't. Uh, you know, because I had to bring the kids. You with, mentioned with that. Me. You asked me if the arcade yeah. machine was on. I said yeah. And then I came in today, and it was the same. It was still on the same game I was playing last it was, week. It's one of those things that like. So I just, knew. I was like, no one played. It's still on the old game. Joseph asks about like playing whatever uh, Knuckles three whatever. More people Sonic need to play Knuckles. that thing. I know, I know. You know, uh, you can't force can't force the kids, but whatever. They yeah, do love the Tootsie Pops, though. Every time we go there, they're like, "Can we get more Tootsie Pops?" I'm like, "Sure, whatever, fine." <laughs> I was just trying to like finish up my random stuff, and I had to meet with somebody there. But um, yeah, so it was good. Rachel got a pedicure, so I had the that's why I had the kids with me. So she doesn't get a lot of pedicures. She was like, "Yeah, it was pretty good." She's like, "I don't know if it's going to be a regular thing for me," and I was like, "That's fine." But, you know, it's cool. She got her nails painted blue. Surprising. <laughs> nice. But yeah, it was good. So we both, like, did very intentional things that were, like, our versions of, you know, recuperative mental health time. For Rachel, it's relaxing. For me, it's going around, running errands and getting raw, metal. Mat- raw materials for more projects. Yeah. But anyway, it's fun. I do metal things now. That's awesome. It is fun. Cool. All right. Uh, Next up, we got some company updates. We're nearing the end here, folks. I promise you. Um, Company updates, pretty straightforward. Not a ton going on. This is our slower time, so we're just not going to have as much to update on. But we do have a video, Drew, on your top brown pens. We joke all the time here about how much you love brown pens. Letting you get it all out of your system, and then you can... Finally, shut your mouth about it. I'm just kidding. Ha-ha. No, no, no. It's good. It was it's a pretty tough. easy one to do. We, I had, I had planned one, and we were like, oh, "Is there something else you can do?" Kind of quick. I'm like, "Well, I got this in my pocket." Yeah, <laughs> it's good stuff. It's good stuff. Yeah, and then we got, you know, we kind of like have recorded a whole bunch, and we got some more that we're going to be recording. So we'll have might have a little bit of a lull here for a week or two, but then we're going to have some more um, new kind of non-pencast videos that we'll have coming out. So 
uh, should be pretty fun. We are. We are also um, working on some fun exclusives in in the mix, pen wise. You know, we've got some irons mm. in the fire. We've got some really exciting things. You know, for the second half of 2022 that I think everybody's gonna be pretty stoked about. We do. Yeah, we always get. We're always up to stuff. But uh, yeah. I may have been getting some texts about some of these things as we were recording earlier. Hey. And I'm like, okay, don't look at this now. Um, yeah. All right. So anyway, that's what we got going on as a company. And uh, we'll go ahead and wrap this thing up. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for watching. Please leave us some feedback in the comments. Let us know how we're doing. Ask us questions. Give us some hypotheticals. I always love talking to you all, even if it's not actually talking and we're just reading what you wrote. But it feels more like a conversation on our end. Um, definitely check out goodlaypens.com for all of your fountain pen ink and paper needs. You can get more information about the various things that we talked about and you can subscribe to our YouTube and Instagram channel. Um, I will say there is something new. I guess this is more of a company update. I don't know when this is going to happen, but literally this morning as we're recording this, we found out that YouTube and Shopify are like doing more of a thing together where you can like link up your Shopify store and show like products that you can buy through YouTube and all that. I don't know how it actually works. We're looking into it though. It seems very appealing. So if you're watching YouTube videos, you could be like, what pen was that? Oh, it's like right there at Gooley Pens. That's pretty convenient. So we're hoping that it's like, I mean, imagine the back end of that is very complicated. So we're going to see about integrating it, but um, that could be something that you all see pretty soon. So we'll see, we'll test it and we'll make sure that it works. But if you're a YouTube watcher, you might see more of that kind of stuff. So that's kind of cool. Anyway, we're looking at that. Um, if you got any questions, you can always email us at pencast at gooleypens.com. And Drew, I wore my NASA shirt today because I'm still kind of just amazed with all the James Webb telescope stuff and watching lots of YouTube videos, analyzing all the different parts and pieces of these things, listening to pen, 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 not pencasts, podcasts. That's what they're called. The pencast is ours. Not yeah. everything's a pencast. <laughs> I, the, 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 my most favorite thing about the James Webb Space Telescope is how it's just got everybody talking and that that yeah. just feeds my soul so much because there yes. there aren't like we will get to the true like new information later down the line the the first images that are coming back are just you know better versions of things we already have yeah. but the amount of people just paying attention and talking about just the insane just the depth of the universe yeah. and how humbling it is. And I just, I just love that everybody is getting there mentally. It is so exciting to see and it's unifying. I think that there's such a beautiful component in mm-hmm. everybody on the planet being fascinated about just interstellar wonder. And that just feeds my soul. And it just, it makes me think about how happy Carl Sagan would be if he was still around <laughs> to just see the whole world joined in this sense of wonder. And that just, yeah. ah, I, I just, I just eat it up. It makes me smile in my soul. <laughs> yeah. It, I, I'm right there with you. To me, it's like a, a very nice distraction of just mm-hmm. like all the just stuff that we could be worried about on a daily basis. I'm like, it's a nice little escapism, but not like in a alternate reality. It's like, it's still reality. It's just like something quite literally larger than most of our daily problems. So I'm enjoying that, but yeah. it didn't, did inspire me for my random fun fact, which is Ooh. like a, a stream of fun facts here. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, you're right. Yeah. So our son, you know, which is the closest star to us is quite big. Um, Not Joseph. You can sit. No, no, no. S U N. 
So the sun. Uh, you can fit 960,000 Earths inside the sun if you keep the Earth round. If you smushed up all the Earths, you could fit 1.3 million of them inside the sun. So pretty big, right? Yeah. But that's just one star. The closest one to us, which is the sun, uh, it's 93 million miles away or eight light minutes. If you're traveling at the speed of light, it's about eight minutes away, seven minutes and something seconds, but close enough to eight minutes. The next closest star to us is Proxima Centauri, which is 4.2 light years away. I tried to calculate that out in miles and it was just, it broke my calculator functionality and I couldn't remember the exponents and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, forget it. It's just really far. 44.2 light years away. Um, but the James Webb images that we're seeing is showing us some stars that are one or sorry, 13.1 billion light years away, which is really freaking far. Incomprehensible. Incomprehensible. It's uh, estimated. This is a separate fact, but I tried to tie them together. It's estimated that there are more stars in the universe than there are grains of sand on Earth. And I think we're sort of seeing that with this whole James Webb thing. Um, scientists estimate that there are over one septillion stars in our universe. That's one with 24 zeros after it. It's a whole lot of stars. Think about our sun, solar system, lots of things rotating around it. That's just one star out of the septillion that there are out there. And uh, related to how many grains of sand there are on Earth, um, researchers at the University of Hawaii estimate that there are seven quintillion, 500 quadrillion grains of sand on Earth. So doing that rough math, there's roughly a trillion more stars. Uh, sorry, not a trillion more, a trillion times as many stars in the universe as there are grains <laughs> of sand on Earth. So bottom line, the universe is very big. Broke That's the sum it all. Yeah. I can't talk. I literally can't talk to Rachel about this because she will not like even listen. She like, no, stop it. I can't absorb this. I don't want to hear it. That's fine. But this is information I cannot absorb in my brain. And I'm just like, no. Oh. Okay. And I try and tell my kids and they're just like, what? Wow. They can't, they can't grasp it. So I get to nerd out with you, Drew. You're like my nerdy space buddy. I, like. I, <laughs> I love having my brain broken because yeah, right, right when I start feeling just existential dread, I get distracted by some squirrel and I'm fine. So yeah, exactly. It's good. It's good. It's good. I get right up to the precipice of complete overwhelming, crushing feeling of insignificance and then i'm like oh oh here's i need you know my coffee's empty you know and then i'm, then I'm good i'm gone i'm done move on to the other thing so See, it's I feel, good i feel like i can function look, in that space i look at like the vastness of the universe and i don't think like oh we're so small and insignificant i just think like wow there's just so much more going on than my insignificant little problems or my little perspective i'm like there's so much more to look forward to i'm like more optimistic about it oh for sure for sure i get there too but it, it, there's 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 uh there first comes the well i guess the more insignificant you feel the more like you feel like a speck on a speck on a speck then you're you realize like just how lucky you are as well just how fortunate you are to be here just how crazy it is that somehow it happened that you are here in this moment to see and experience all of this so there's 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 a, a humbling gratitude along with the terrifying crushing you know insignificance as well so it's a double-edged sword i believe yeah 
You want to, you want your brain broken one more time? Cause I just recalled another fact. So sure. We just, we just talked about like the vastness of the universe. So if you go the opposite direction and you go smaller, if you take hydrogen atoms, the number of hydrogen atoms that's in one teaspoon of water, if, if that was to, what, what is it? There's, there's more hydrogen atoms in one teaspoon of water than there are teaspoons of water that would fill up the entire universe. That's how like dense and compact like atoms are. So like the vastness of the universe and like all these things that are so huge and far away, but you think like how infinitely complex everything gets when you go smaller and like quantum level it's like your brain breaks like big and small and it's yeah. just like this is incomprehensible i don't know i'm it finding really it fascinating is. oh no know. it is it is it's just every if, if you uh, everything is a miracle when you look at it like that like literally every single thing you see the fact that you can see the fact that you can stare at anything everything you see is like the fact that anything exists is absolutely miraculous because wild. the amount of things that are happening at an atomic level in order to keep the universe together. Not only the universe, but the things in our world that we experience is just unfathomable. If you really try to comprehend it and get right up to the edge of your brain melting, it's just, <laughs> just, it's an experience. Yeah. You can really find wonder in anything if you try hard enough. And I like yeah. to try hard enough. It just, it makes there me feel go. good. But yeah, there's still like a lifetime of stuff to learn about fountain pens. And that's, <laughs> Yes. An extremely specific thing within the vastness of all this universe. But yeah, I don't know. Everybody's got their thing. But hey, glad you all stuck with us on the turkey hammock portion of the pencast today. If you think space is cool, just let us know. Space is cool. <laughs> space was cool. That's your, that's your turkey hammock moment for the day. Space is cool. <laughs> um, anyway, thank you all so much for sticking with us. We really enjoyed spending time with you today. And uh, we'll catch you on the next one, everybody. Right on.